So anyway, George was like, hey, Sean, this is how Game of Thrones is going to end. Oh, well, are we live? Yeah, we're live. Uh, I'll tell you about I'll tell you about okay, so, Game of Thrones Okay, so never mind. You didn't hear that, folks. We, yeah, yeah. we have no idea how the book's going to end. We did not just spend an hour lunch with George where he told us all the deepest secrets in, coming up in the books. No, and, no. and the show, because somehow he knows all that, too. It was two hours. Oh, right. <laughs> I mean, not two hours. It wasn't any time. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Of course, this is an HBO's Game of Thrones episode only. No book spoilers, except for those that we almost dropped in our intro there. <laughs> So, we're live today. How exciting is that? This allows us to get the episode out a little sooner. It allows people to be watching it, uh, having, having our reactions a lot sooner to the time when the episode actually aired. Kind of a funny episode to be judging reactions from because it's, uh, well, I, I would call myself, a, I like to change what house I'm a member of. And today, I'm a member of House Sad Face. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, so thanks for everyone joining us out there live, watching with us, and we're going to be playing with the Q&A features, so if you guys have questions you want to ask, go ahead and fit them in there. You can use that Q&A feature. Like I said, this is new for us, so we may have a few little uh, hits or misses here, little stumbling blocks, but it should, it should go pretty smoothly, and we'll play with it, and it'll be great for future episodes, because I think we want to make this at least a semi-regular thing. Looking forward to next season in particular with that. And we might do the last episode live as well. We're planning on it. Same time next Monday. You should be looking out for a description on that in case we change the time or anything like that. But we're prepared to do this again for the final episode. Hopefully we'll have some uh, more pleasant things to talk about. But the episode still, there was a lot of good things to talk next about. Week? It's next last week? Ups? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Already, huh? Already going down. So we, we like to discuss themes with these episodes and I don't know what the theme was for yesterday's episode was it people burning I don't know torch, <laughs> torched human beings yeah. fire and burning to death and I guess <laughs> maybe generally we saw ice last week and fire this week maybe yeah that's or a good fire and ice we saw fire in the north you know I don't know that's true maybe desperation was a theme as well or <clears throat> An unpleasant taste in my mouth. That's, <laughs> that's a theme, right? Uh, watching her Tormund's toupee suggests a culinary theme. Clams, oysters, harpy flambe, and of course, roast stag. Oh, no, uh, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> What's interesting, too, about this episode was what wasn't in it. Not just the major events that happened, both disappointing and exciting, and maybe a little disturbing, maybe a little horrifying... But, again, we had another episode without King's Landing. Yeah, yeah. That's unusual. As we pointed out earlier this year, there would only been four episodes without King's Landing, so make that five. And I assume that means we'll see plenty of it next episode. It, it kind of makes sense. I mean, we probably will see plenty of King's Landing next episode, but I can imagine, in general, seeing a little bit less and less King's Landing as characters have scattered more, plot lines have developed elsewhere more, you know, that kind of long-term storylines are going to be focused on more. That's a good point. We also, of course, on the other hand, though, we will, apparently will have some characters returning to King's Landing or going there for the first time. In the case of Tristane Martell, we'll have perhaps Shireen going back and Jamie and Bronn potentially as well. So we'll, when, we, when we talk about Dorne and what looks to be a sort of a ending to that plot line, I'm sure there'll be more of Dorne in the future. Well, I'm not sure, but I would think there's going to be more <laughs> of Dorne in the future. But that does seem to be sort of a, a, the end, sort of, of that arc for now. But we'll get to that a bit later. So, 
we have some people have suggested that because it's a TV show discussion episode and not a presentation of a big, heavily researched topic, that we don't need to spend quite as much time with the preamble and starting the episode. So that's a good suggestion. So we're just going to dive right in. We we did our preamble. It's we're about five minutes in. So let's get moving. Let's go straight to the wall. We're going to go the opposite direction we went last week. Last week we went from Marine, went west, and then we went north. We're going to start at the wall and go a little south and then go east towards Essos and finish with the pit. So we're going to start, like I said, with the wall. First off, real quick, watching her minge forever points out that we made a small error last week, which is that... Hard Home was not filmed in, in Iceland. It was filmed in Northern Ireland. Good catch there. Worth correcting. Now, we start with this tense moment outside the gate there with Alistair Thorne looking down. It was kind of weird. It looked like they were locking eyes there. But they're like oh, 700 feet apart. <laughs> There's no way they could see each other's eyes. So, But but uh, <laughs> that's kind of funny to me. They can feel the lasers coming out of each other's <laughs> eyes. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, okay, John, all right, Kit, he's up there staring at you. You need to stare back. Yeah, like they have walkie-talkies or something. Okay, he's staring now. You stare back. <laughs> okay, so this is where I have to point out. I, unfortunately, is po- I like to be pretty positive about the show, but I actually found a lot to dislike with this episode. Not just from a, like, I didn't, I don't, I, you know, I personally found it distasteful or whatever, but I just mean there were things that were inconsistent and some things that just didn't make sense. And those are the things that I usually am the most critical about because I can accept that, not everyone has the same taste. Some things that are appeasing, appealing to some people aren't appealing to others. So I tend to not get too deep in debating taste. But when something doesn't make sense, it just doesn't make sense. And what doesn't make sense is these guys approaching Castle Black from this side of the wall that way. They were in ships. The wall, they, they, they sailed beyond the wall without going that way. Yet they came back a different way. It's, it's not even just nonsensical with the geography. It's not even consistent. Because they left via boat, but they came back in the middle of the northern part of the northern continent beyond the wall. It doesn't fit the geography at all. Yeah. If they could have explained it, they could have been like, oh, well, there were some, they, we shipwrecked, you know, we had a hard time, and then we, so we had to walk inland and then do this. That, that would make it better. It still wouldn't make sense. But I had a, that was really difficult for me to swallow. And I think that they can get away with that because a lot of people who watch the show and even people who have read the books aren't super tight on the geography, and, and they can expect that a lot of people won't notice that. But... We're going to notice that. Yeah, it and I think a lot of people do. And uh, I will say, even though not knowing the geography as well, which I think I know it better than average, but I will say I don't know the geography of the, the north, the wall area very well. But it, just thinking about it, yeah, they left on boats. Why didn't they come back on boats? That was the whole point of the, I don't know. Castle Black yeah, is in is the little... middle of the wall. Yeah. So it's like the least... It's like one of the least likely places for them. I mean, it would be even weird if they went all the way to the west, but <laughs> I can't make. I can like I can see one for like a presentation purposes. They just want this moment that's at the yeah. wall, da da da. But they got to set it up a different way, and maybe even only Alistair is going to open the, the gates or something like you know the, whoever's in charge of the other castle where they should have come geographically. Uh, they don't have the authority or the trust or whatever to let the wildlings in at that point. But again, one line of dialogue tells us that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, like I said, they could have As I think about it now, it bothers way, yeah. me a little bit. Because, in fact, there was almost no dialogue that whole scene. There was one line, right? Alistair said, open the gates. I think no one else spoke a word. So That's right. He stared them down and then went and did it. So, 
we have another little note here about the Q&A feature. For those of you watching live, notice that you can upvote the questions that people are posting. So if you want to really see, if you see a question that you, that you want to see us answer, make sure to upvote it. That'll help make sure that that happens. So for now, if you guys have questions about the wall, make sure that those are the ones that you're getting, uh, that you're upvoting. Because once we move on past the topic, we will come back to it if, if someone asks a really good question, but we're going to prefer to stay topic to topic. All right. Those seems to be some other observations about the scene. First of all, of course, one one is with them, which is neat. The giant, that's kind of cool. Also, Carsey's children. Tormund seems to have been, you know, kind of watching over them a bit. And I kind of wonder what their role is going to be. Any thoughts on Carsey's kids? Yeah, I'm not sure. I uh, I kind of expected her to be featured as a character, and she got killed pretty quick. So now I. I suppose maybe the kids could be. I mean, Ollie's parents got killed and he's being featured. Maybe that would even be what buys Ollie into this, you know? But I, I kind of feel like they're all just going to move on out. They can't, all these thousands of wildlings are just going to hang out at the wall. They're moving on. I'll tell you what, I really, it might be skipping forward a little bit. This is what I really think is going to happen is Davos is going to come back and get the wildling army and show up <laughs> with Stannis. That's what I that's what I sort of expect. Oh, that'd be interesting. Having from all, coming from all this. Although... Probably the little girls don't come to this battle, especially if their mom's out there. Maybe Gilly takes care of them. Not sure. I, haven't, I hadn't thought to think about that too much, but I can see how those characters could flesh some stuff out. Right on. And you can really tell. They really drive the point home from when the wildlings and, and 1-1 are all coming through the gate. They're all just looking. The, the Night's Watch are not happy. They look very upset. And John notices this, and he looks very down about it. He looks yeah. really sullen. He kind of just looks down at the ground, and he's like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do about this. It really seems like the situation's coming to a head. It seems like John's going to have to do something to get make them get along, or something could go very wrong. Do you have any thoughts on how that might play out, or what you're worried about, or... Honestly, same thing I said before. I think they're just going to leave with Davos. I think they're just going to go fight at Winterfell. That's right on. That, that would was... be a good, elegant solution to yeah, it. They yeah. just, you know, they 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 hate the wildlings, but they hate them less when they're not around. <laughs> yeah, there will probably be some conflict. Like someone will probably get in a fight. It'll be some argument. You know, maybe there might even be a split in factions among the wall. I'm not sure. I I still keep thinking John's not leaving the wall, but maybe he'll lead the wall to lead the wildlings. I, I guess that is a potential. Maybe things are different enough now, or I don't know. I haven't gone that far ahead, but. Um, I suppose it does make sense that we'll have these conflicts, but I can imagine the conflicts would come assuming the wildlings don't start attacking other people in the north, right? Assuming that they just set up farmland, also assuming something that kind of gets skipped over a lot and show that they don't suck up the logistical resources of other people in the north, right? But it seems to be the north is pretty wide open, and hey, there's good farmland, hey, come on. John's like, hey, come on, it'll all work out. Assuming John's right, <laughs> and there's enough space and resources for everyone, and the wildlings are just there for space and resources and are actively still trying to attack northerners, I want to say it seems like it should all work out. Except that doesn't make people's emotions go away, but the emotions aren't if they keep hanging around right there at the wall day in and day out, well, then emotion's going to flare. But if they just go 100 miles south and start farms, who's going to notice? You know what I mean? And so maybe some will and some won't. We'll see. We'll see. Right it'll, on. Be, it'll be interesting. I imagine it'll be a feature of the next season. Yeah, it's uh, basically kind of a, a prelude scene. They talk, you know, there's a, two different short scenes at the wall here, but they really looks like whatever's going to happen, it's going to be mostly resolved next episode, if not 
you know, the following season. But this was a, it was a it was a, a very short thing. They didn't they didn't. It was more of a setup, I think, for whatever's yeah, coming next episode. Touch bases. Well, they're you know John's back. You know. Yeah, you're right to you're definitely right to question the timing of Davos returning with whatever is happening up there. That could provide a solution. Now, because we're already at the wall, we're going to talk about Stannis and Davos in a minute here. But what do you think John will do when Davos says, "Hey, give me"? Stannis is demanding this and this and this, but he's going to give you this in return. Will, will, will that present a problem for John and his vows, or? Well, for one, aside from the wildlings, what's John going to do? Send eighteen guys? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, what, what men? Is, yeah, it's not like he's got. It's not like John is the reinforcements. That, it, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me in the first place. Like, right? Stannis has an army of thousands, and they're dying by the hundreds. And there were a hundred men at the wall before, and half of them died. Even if they completely <laughs> abandoned the wall, even some of the men at the wall are wards or whatever. There's literally only fifty. God, that, that's not that's not the difference. That's not what Stannis needs. And in fact, I think Davos, on some level, knows that too. I think he knew he was sending him away so he could kill Shrek. Yeah, he did. I think uh, you're right. I mean, he, he that's why he gave her the gift, and and Stan. That's it's, I think Davos knew that the order was you know a little awkward for that reason. He knew yeah. it was like, but. John doesn't have men to give. He could have said that, but I think Davos knew. And one way or the other, Stannis's mind was made up. And if anyone knows how stubborn Stannis is, it's it's Davos. So, but that will be the, you know, the saving grace if Davos goes back to the wall and says, "Hey, John, I need you to give me all your men." All right, how about thousands of wildlings? <laughs> and Davos is like, "Oh, all right, hey, cool, hey, Stannis, look, I got thousands of wildlings," you know. Whether or not they will follow, John did make him promise to join the real fight. Remember, you know that was part of the deal. Yeah. But I don't think attacking Winterfell. I don't know if they'll interpret that as a real fight. But they might just want to fight anyway. Hey, look, you hate the Northerners. Hey, let's go kill some Northerners. Win <laughs> you win, know, right? So. Okay, good. We're gonna as we segue between the Wall and the North with Stannis' campaign. This is a good time for this particular question. Here is. Question from Jordan Glover. Do you think that Davos will accept what Stannis has done and stay with him? Do you think, what will Davos do when he learns about what happened to Shireen? He obviously cared a lot about Shireen and was in, really interested, you know, obviously cares a lot for her. You know, he, he kind of, he, it seemed like he was saying goodbye, maybe permanently to her. He kind of knew it was coming. Does that, do you think that that will test his loyalty? Well, surely it will test his loyalty, but... Will it make a difference? How will he? You think? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, uh, in the in the books, Davos is a, a character with a perspective, right? Yeah. So you get more insight into his mind. I feel like in his show, he's secondary to Stannis. Like Stannis is who we see some of, a, a lot of, and we see some Davos with him sometimes. But uh, so I don't maybe have quite the insight because I I feel like. One, I didn't think Stannis would do it in the first place. My interpretation of the character and the story and the plot and everything, I just didn't believe he would do it. Like, I just couldn't believe he would do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a surprise to so, a lot of us. <laughs> so given that he did that, one, I didn't think, or additionally I should say, one reason I didn't think Stannis would do it is because I didn't think Davos would allow it. So we sent him away. That, you know, that was kind of like I was watching the episode, oh crap, he's going to do it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But... If if Davos knows that's what's gonna happen, I feel like he should just he should just refuse. He, it's he's kind of put his life on the line before to protect what he thought was right or whatever. 
Maybe he still had hope. Maybe he believed, especially the way Stannis even said, the parting words was, my family stays with me. Maybe Stannis, maybe Davos took that to mean, all right, he won't kill Shireen. Maybe he'll leech her blood. Maybe he'll do something shady, but he won't. Not just kill her, burn her at the stake. <laughs> you know, like, damn. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I still kind of, in my mind, am assuming that Davos didn't really believe that was going to happen. And so when he comes back and it has happened, I don't know if he will stay. Maybe he will. Like, I feel like no way he will. But I also felt like no way Stannis will do this. So Stannis did it. Maybe Davos will stay with him after all, too. I, I see some watchers suggesting that he'll take the black himself. Davos will opt to... That's yeah. his way of, just, well, I'm still serving the realm, you know, blah, 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 but I can't follow this guy anymore. I, yeah. I, yeah. It's a possibility. Yeah. I yeah. like that idea. It would be interesting, too, especially if he, uh, especially if John left the wall to fight for Winterfell or whatever else. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I suppose that's the way things could go. I'm not sure if that's likely or if, or if I would want that, per se, but I, I, don't, I think I don't want Davos to go back I'm like, oh, you killed Shireen and we won? Okay, fine. I guess it was worth it. I don't. I don't. I just don't see that. I don't see that in his range. So yeah. Uh, on on this note, by the way, I had another thought. Maybe we got. There's lots more to talk about. I guess, but just generally speaking, about how I just didn't think that Stannis would possibly do this. I wonder if there's some level of cautionary tale with Stannis here. How? Because uh, I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I never thought of Stannis as being ambitious per se. I thought of him as being like. I don't know, honorable or tough or strong, but I didn't think that he had this ambition to be ruler of the world or the greatest warrior ever or whatever. He was just a soldier, you know? Um, now he seems to be ambitious. He's got to become the man he's supposed to be, maybe under Melisandre's spell. Maybe he's just become corrupt. Once he's burned a bunch of people, well, what's my dog? You know what I mean? Like, by the way, a minor note or a side note, like, no one's safe now. No, Stannis will burn his own daughter. You know what I mean? Like, you better look out if you're on the wrong side of Stannis. But what I was yeah. leading up to is that he was looking pretty haggard. He was. He and the facial I wonder, acting was quite good. Yeah, especially with the burning. He's the new Mad King. Oh, he's just the new Mad King. He, Even if he becomes king, he might just be insane. He might just go insane after killing his own daughter. At what price? Even when he wins, he'll never be happy. Uh, on and on and on. I, that's I've. That's kind of how I foresee the general storyline of Stannis going. Is he's just going to fall apart as a man? That's very interesting. Okay, well, let's get deeper into that plot line and, and back up a little bit. But first, another question. This one's been upvoted several times. It's just a test question. But Ashea wants to know what is your drink today, Sean? Uh, today, this is a mix of peach juice, Mountain Dew, and pineapple juice. Three-part mix this time. So. All right. <laughs> talk about crossing the streams. Okay, so let's talk more about the North and what came before the scene here. It's interesting that Mel seemed to sense what was happening just before it happened. It was like she had an awareness that something was about to go wrong. She walked out of her tent, and she's looking around, and then all of a sudden things go up into flame. It's almost... It's not like she knew it was coming. She seemed surprised. But it's a little weird that she knew that was coming, but she but she didn't sense it before. <laughs> but I guess that's just the way the TV, they just wanted to present it. I honestly interpreted it more like she heard something. Like Maybe she did have a sense. She was even like, just sitting there. What's she doing? She wasn't reading a book. You know, I don't, maybe she's looking into the flame. She was just like sitting in a tent in the middle of the night. Like <laughs> I can imagine if everyone else is in her tent to sleep and she was up 
you know, contemplating the future or praying, she might have heard a sound, you know. Right on. Especially if they've been there night after night after night, and she hears a sound she hadn't heard before, a horse reaction. Maybe it was some premonition, some something mystical, but I, I just interpreted it as, like, she just heard something, you know. And night of the forums, Darren Tucker suggested the possibility that there are still men, Ramsey's men might still be in the camp. There might be some infiltrators. They didn't have to just do their thing and leave. It's yeah, possible. they could do it again the next night. And yeah, they the could be hiding night. nearby, yeah. yeah. Although they don't need to. Once they destroy the food supply, you know, it seems like that's... I, I will say that's another thing, too. Another thing I struggle with a little bit. Uh, I, I, my first thought was, I wish they had made it seem more dire for Stannis to get to this point. And I can imagine in the books, they could draw this out chapter after chapter after chapter. But in the show, we got like two episodes of like, Oh, it's cold. Hey, some horses died. All right, kill my daughter. You know, like, it, it happened too quickly. But watching it a second time, I want to give this a credit. I do feel like they they made a point of, like, you know, butcher the horses for meat. And they showed men lined up for food. And even had a scene as Davos walked by towards Shireen of one guy just kind of, like, staring off into blankness. You know what I mean? So I feel like they at least gave some effort in the show to let us see that they're desperate, that they're starving and freezing and hopeless, if you will. So, But I still, it was tough to swallow that Stannis did that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I needed more time. I needed a couple more episodes of seeing desperation. You know? I agree. It was. It felt rushed. Stannis, we've, I felt Stannis's, because the acting was, was, was of high quality, that he felt torn over the decision. But I didn't really get the sense of the army being in peril. We were told that the army was in peril. It was, yeah. it was explained. But it was a sh- it was a tell don't show, and it should be a show don't tell situation. We hear about how bad they are, hear the report of the men dead, and how you know all the problems. The food our food stores are burned. Blah 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 blah. But you don't you you see a few random dudes kind of suffering in the cold. But that's really it. It wasn't it wasn't enough for Stannis' decision. Didn't feel like it was as necessary. I mean, he's never going to feel like oh well. Now it's clear he has to burn his own daughter. But. It could have been a little more, or a lot more, developed, I think, as an idea. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of contemplating it as we talk here, even, and I th- think that he might have to protect for... This is the thought I started to have. Is like, wasn't he in more dire straits at uh, Dragonstone, right? Like, weren't people starving to death then? And that's why Davos is even a hero or whatever. But it occurs to me that there, they literally could go to the point of starving to death. Here... They can't get to the point of starting death. They still have to go win this battle. So he kind of has to project forward, even if it isn't as dire at this moment that they're about to die of starvation. It's dire enough at this moment they're going to get to the point where they can't win this battle. He has to act now. And it's, maybe it's hard to present that pressure. It's hard to show us that pressure. I don't even know how far away they are. I don't know if they're like a mile away or 40 miles away or 100 yards away. I don't have a good perspective of how close they are. How bad the weather, the trail, the walls of Winterfell, things like that we haven't really seen. So it's a little harder for me to conceive of what challenge is ahead of them exactly. Right on. In this discussion with all my notes and an expert (laughs) and questions from other people, I can kind of come up with these reasons. But I feel like the show, I'm going to say failed a little to bring Stannis to this decision, you know. Especially because they spent a lot of time showing how he cared about his daughter. You know, there's yeah. those touching scenes that have really turned disgusting now yeah. <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> so now someone has asked a good question 
that we're going to save for the trailer discussion. Remember that, as usual, we are going to talk about the trailer, things that we got from, out of the, watching the trailer, but we're going to save that for the end of the episode because people don't want to be spoiled on that. So I see a good question here related to that, but we are going to wait and answer that question a bit later. Uh, another good question comes from, let's see, where did it go? One, we wonder, here we go, from James Smith, who is um, on our small council. What do you think Ramsey's reaction will be when Stannis shows up at Winterfell after his attack, assuming he does? Um, it looks like there's a good chance that will happen. If Ram- what, what, will Ramsey be like, what the? What will Bruce yeah. be, I thought you destroyed his food. Like, they're going to wonder how this is possible. Yeah, uh, I'll say one thing Shay mentioned, a, a, a thought that she had, is that she was upset for Ramsey to have this victory. It's like <laughs> disappointing <laughs> for Ramsey to have anything go his way. And India, maybe it won't. Uh, but, you know, maybe that'll help the cause, the fact that they'll have surprise on her side. But I still wonder if they even are going to show up. Maybe Ramsey's reaction is going to be nothing because he's dead because the demon spirit got him. Or something. You know, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Because that was, I tell you, that was another thought I had, which I was kind of imagining the thought in Stannis' mind as he's watching Star of Bernadette. I could, I, the thought, I, I just feel Stannis' brain. I just feel his thoughts. This better work. <laughs> that's better work. That's uh, that that there can be nothing else in his mind, you know, and and it can't be some vague thing like, oh, hey, look, it turns out Balon's dead now. No, no, no. <laughs> he needs a, a definitive, quick results for his daughter's death. His daughter's burned alive death. I don't know what they're gonna be, but I feel like even <laughs> Davos showing up with a wildling army. And then they attack the castle, the storm clears. I feel like all that could have happened anyway. That's not enough. You know what I mean? I think it needs. I think there needs to be some evidence that the Red God caused this. Something mystical needs to happen. Something powerful needs to happen. Something beyond winning Winterfell with an army of men. You know what I mean? Like yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Uh, that All that may happen... But I don't know if Stannis would be like, okay, it was worth it now. I think Stannis would be like, okay, that would happen anyway, Melisandre. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, the weather would have cleared up on its yeah. own. <laughs> Another question from watchinger Carly Kenny, who says, effing Stannis. I've been a Stannis fan since early on in the books. Did your opinion change about him? It's tougher to be a Stannis fan now. I, it is. I think that the, the only way I'll not hate him is if his character goes insane. You know what I mean? I think that uh, if we just see him degenerate as a person into this madman who can't handle having killed his own daughter. Uh, oh, it's kind of what I want to happen. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the plans are for this storyline, but that's kind of... I don't know if I want Stannis to succeed now. I don't know if I want it to have been worth it. You know, I don't know. I'm not... Uh, it's an interesting thing to think about, you know, but uh, I, I just remember when he said that line, he said, and I will risk everything. All right, you, you risked everything, you know, like... Uh, is it worth it? And I don't know if it is. I don't know how many of the people, pretty much, I was going to say, I don't know how many of the people in power would sacrifice their own family members for the power. And I realized, actually, a bunch of them would. And it, they all suck. <laughs> They're not the people we want in power, you know? <laughs> yeah, they all suck. <laughs> okay, another question comes from Carlos Kennard, which is eerily similar to Carly Kenny. Interesting. Uh, but I'm sure that's just a coincidence. The question is, what was your take on the way Stannis took care of his guards. He ordered them hung, the ones who, he said, either they conspired or they were lazy. Uh, I think that it's, 
harsh, but Stannis is harsh. I wasn't that surprised by it. I, I think that it's, he might have been a little quicker to go there because he's so frustrated. But I think even if he had time to think about it, he would have come to that same decision anyway. I think a lot of commanders would. I don't. I'm not sure, but I don't think it was that. It's odd to me because extreme. it's a geog- it's a geographical problem again. He's blaming all the watch. The watch would have been. He has a, a camp. It's not like against the mountainside. Yeah, it's circular, yeah. completely open. So you're talking about a lot of people guarding the perimeter, and he's executing them all because of yeah. these twenty guys. They probably just got in in one little spot. They didn't. All you know, all so I don't know. He's just, it's a way for him to make sure he has no traitors in his midst, but he's certainly killing innocent people. He also, I can imagine, there's giving me some follow up. The time it's going to take to round those guys up, put them in chains, ask questions. It's not going to happen in three minutes. It's going to take all afternoon. Yeah. And he'll go back and he'll ask some questions too. He'll interact with the men. He might decide, all right, not these guys, but these guys. But he might even sacrifice all of them to make a point. Uh, I think that because I can imagine. They probably weren't really doing their due diligence. They probably were being lazy. They were cold. They didn't think anything was going to happen. They did fall asleep, et cetera, et cetera. You know, probably if those guards were doing what they were supposed to do, that wouldn't have happened. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm not sure if they deserve to die because of it. But I can see as a leader, (laughs) hey, your job is to guard the camp. Hey, the camp is ruined. All right? (laughs) We just won't do anything. No, 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 no. We're going to punish the people whose job it was to guard the camp, you know? Yeah. So the, the actual burning itself was, well, I'll say this much. If you're a director or a casting agent and you are looking for a, a young girl who knows how to scream in terror while pleading for her parents to help her, well, look no further than Carrie Ingram. Another example of an actress doing too good of a job. It was too good. It was just made to seem just horrible. You know, she's just screaming. You're like, who can... Here, even though it's TV, we all know it's fake. It's still, you still have, like, it's a deep subconscious thing. When you're a young girl screaming in terror, it's just, you can't, it's hard to not be a little moved by that. Or a lot moved. I've, we've gotten feedback from a lot of people that they literally were moved to tears. Some were moved to tears before the scene because they knew it was going to happen or were just worried about it happening. And sure enough, it did happen. I kept waiting. I was like, something... A lot of yeah. Someone's gonna show up. Something's Ramsey's gonna attack in the middle of this. Like something's no gonna, he's way gonna change he's gonna his mind. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, yeah. I heard a lot of that too. Uh, a lot of feedback on that. But I it, realized it was like hope in my mind. But I, I, I think I even wrote down a quote here. I think that when he said, when when he was talking to her and she said, "I'm you know I'm a uh, Shereen Baratheon. I'm your daughter." Yeah. I felt like when he heard that, I'm like, oh, I can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like <laughs> he had decided to do it, and that conversation was gonna make him not do it. But then his response, they like embrace. He says, "Forgive me," and I'm like, "Oh God, he's gonna do it." <laughs> that, you know? uh, and, but even then, I still kind of had this hope that he's made the decision to do it, but something will stop him. Nothing stopped him. And it was interesting too that his wife, she was the one, was like, "No, like she was the one that like stepped forward and tried to stop." And it's almost even hard for me to believe that all the men just stood by and let it happen. I guess they must really believe in the Red God or something. They uh, they must feel like this is gonna save them. It, you know, maybe. Like, even men in peril and doom, you would think one of those guys would feel like he should stand up and do the right thing, you know, but everyone stood by and let it happen. Well, the problem is that a lot of those men were mercenaries, and they don't really, you know, they don't care about little overseas. girls. Well, they don't care uh, enough to, they're professional killers. They they care, but they're not, is. they're just basically, they like, they, to them it might be distasteful, but they're not going to be like, oh, I hate this guy now. They, in you know, general, I understand that, but it seems like 
you're talking about thousands of men. They don't all have the exact same personality and character motivations. Yeah, no, one of them is going to have some level of righteousness. You can yeah. imagine Jorah joining in a mercenary army, and then when they're going to burn a little girl, Jorah does something about it, or whoever, you know what I mean? But maybe Dario doesn't, you know? I don't know. But I feel like someone. But maybe those people were already dead or too cold or... I do think it does. I definitely agree that it will have an impact on his, the morale of his army. Possibly a big impact, or it should. We don't know how the show will actually handle it. And watching her Jordan Glover, here's another good question related to what we're talking about. Doesn't this make him a kinslayer? Yes, it absolutely yeah, makes him a kinslayer. There's no way around that. Stannis is a kinslayer. And that is a huge taboo in Westeros. It's one of the biggest. It's up there with guest right. You know, it's there's nothing. There's pretty much nothing that you can do that's worse than that in the eyes of the average Westerosi. Kinslaying is like the worst. So, well, well, Stannis is already really unpopular. He was. It's one of those. He's one of those guys that you know. It's like Tywin says. It's better to be feared than loved. And well, no one's gonna love Stannis anymore for the yeah. most part. He, but people are definitely afraid of him. So he's he's really testing that theory to the extreme. <laughs> We wonder now, too, the other thing that's really odd is that one thing that you want to support a king for, it's an important thing to, for any king, is to have a distinct line of succession. He has no heir now. It was already a bit of an issue for him because a lot of Westeros is very patriarchal and they don't like the idea of a female heir to the throne. But there's no heir now. Uh, our, our friend and Comics of Ice and Fire genius, Azad... He made a great joke about it. He said, well, now one of the Stannis' baby jars is now the heir. <laughs> so we can see <laughs> one of his, you know, formaldehyde children be put on the Iron Throne. That's who's going to sit the Iron Throne at the end of the series, a formaldehyde baby. Obviously, it's an issue, but I, I think that that's, like, far in the back of his mind considered other things he's worried about. That, yeah. He can deal with that later. He can have, he can have a son later. He he's, needs to be king first. He he's basically mortgaging first. every possible piece of value he has in order to achieve his goal, yeah. including his own family. Yeah. and his. He can regain that value later. Look, I'll send men to the wall later. Once I'm king, I'll just have a son or have a bastard. I'll do whatever I have to do, but i got to get the throne first. You know, If he's willing to kill his daughter, I don't think he's worried about having a son he there's stuff to worry about later on you know? yeah he probably believes that he can just name an heir and that'll be good enough for yeah. a cousin some people suggest the possibility of gendry gendry's still out there he does have baratheon blood i don't you know he could legitimize him it's possible that's that is that is a person with baratheon blood and and uh stannis is certainly aware of his existence he almost yeah. sacrificed him yeah. he's like oh wait you're gonna make me your heir you almost burned me and you're gonna make me your heir and you burned your last heir no thanks <laughs> <laughs> Gendry has any say. Stay away, Gendry. I don't know if you want that. Related to the Jar Babies, our very own Hand of the King, Cash Craig, a.k.a. Vaxis, on the History of Westeros forums, suggests that Stannis should have brought those stillborn jars with him on campaign because, you know, there's a good way to get a little king's blood real quickly. <laughs> uh, leech. There's still be any blood in them. <laughs> yeah, he said it was only half a joke, but I, and I agree. It <laughs> is only half a joke because... That's a, that's legit, I suppose. Yeah, let's try it out before you burn Shireen. Try it one <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Give it a shot. What could <laughs> what could hurt, right? I uh, guess on some level, it also shows his trust in Melisandre. You know, like she told him this is what you got to do. What about this? No, no, no. What about this? No, no, no. Look, <laughs> this is what you have to do. So now, watching her, Yanif Volpert asks: When Melisandre tried to kill Gendry, she said that the stone dragons will come to life. First of all, what the hell are stone dragons? 
And if we have any idea what they are, do you think that'll happen? Yeah, That's I, a don't tough question. I don't remember that line. Uh... <laughs> I believe it would have been back in would have been back in season three, I suppose, mm-hmm. early season three or maybe late season two. I guess early season three. It could mean, first of all, a statement like that could mean so many things. That that could allude to so many things. Like dragons in general could refer to people's personal demons or something like that. And the stone dragons could refer to, it could cause the spread of grayscale. You know, it, it could be, there might be more specific references in this land that I don't even know. But just in general, in the world, those words could have so many meanings that... Maybe it means there are stone dragons that are going to come alive now, but and that would be something. That mm-hmm. would that would be that would be this better work if all of a sudden stone dragons flew overhead and torched Winterfell. <laughs> Stannis would be like, "All right, that was worth killing my daughter for." The stone dragons <laughs> came alive. Yeah, all right. <laughs> now, watching her see Hollett wants to know as far as the way they made this episode. Should perhaps they have? Ended the episode with Shireen rather than Mirene. I'm going to say no. Yeah? Just think about how negatively people felt about the episode that ended with Sansa. I think it's bad to leave the audience on such a negative note. Do you think it maybe took a little out of the Marine scene? Maybe because it was a little deflating or disappointing or... It's possible. It's possible. I think the Marine scene had its flaws anyway, you know. Yeah. So maybe the Marine scene needed to be held to a higher standard following up something so powerful. That's a good point. I agree with that. Okay, so let's move on. We, if we have some good questions, we will certainly come back to them. I do agree that Stannis' morale, the army of his morale, uh, morale of his army should be a question, but maybe it won't be. It depends on how the showrunners want to go with it. And certainly the question of who his heir would be. If, he, if, they're, if they're even going to tackle that question, it'd be really interesting to see. I'm not sure. Anyway, yes, let us continue on to the next location. Let us talk about Dorne. I liked the opening shot of Dorne. The way they had the below shot of Jamie with the axe, glaive, polearm, whatever that thing is that Hota has. It's a nasty looking weapon, whatever it is. And the way that was a cool way to intro the scene. I think this was one of the, as far as the several shots in Dorne they did this, this time around, I think this was better than most of the other things we've had from Dorne this season. Well, this is the only time we've had Dorne. This is the only season we've had Dorne. We've had Dorne's characters. So I thought that was good. I was really looking forward to more Dorne Martell, and we got more Dorne Martell, so that was cool. I liked that. Now, my first question, though, is did we get the answer to who sent the necklace? Dorne really was staring at Ilaria, and Ilaria kind of didn't really give anything away. She had, like, a poker face there. She seemed like she was sort of admitting to it without admitting to it, but... And then Marcella says it was stolen from her room. So we know it wasn't someone like Littlefinger or someone far yeah. away. It was stolen from her room. I don't think Littlefingers can, can, can do things like that from so far away. So I think, I think the most out there suggestions, which had some validity to them right now, I think we can safely eliminate those. I think it was, someone, it was somebody like close to the situation. I took it to be Ilaria. I, I thought it was pretty... I think that's the, in, the intent of the scene. Maybe they're trying. Maybe there's some long-term conspiracy, and really Doran is trying to start a war, and he's got some secret plan. He's coordinated with Ilaria, or maybe she's not cooperating. And he, I, I, I could see some conspiratorial type stuff, but I think the intent of that scene. I think what the showmakers are trying to show us in that scene was Ilaria did it. Hmm. Okay. And what did you think of her refusing? She had this pours the wine out you know one for her for her homie Oberyn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely uh you know uh insubordinate you know i feel like it would have been 
reasonable to have her executed for that. But uh, a few moments later, he threatens to do just that yeah, because yeah. she goes even farther and is, says, "You know, no wonder you can't stand. You have no spine." Yeah. And, and he finally is like, "All right, I've had enough of your back yeah. talk. <laughs> uh, you talk to me like that again, you will not, you know, see your children get older." Because but like, it does show that Doran isn't, you know impulsive and irrational and angry he's calm and cool but he also will draw a line i i I thought it was well presented also shows alaria is not just like oh i'm fine with this fine let's break wine with the break bread with the lannisters (laughs) okay i'm over it now you know she's she's gonna put up her fight she's gonna make her point you gotta understand it wasn't just that like the father of her child was killed his head was crushed in front of her you know what i mean it was (laughs) devastating you don't just Get over that, you know, so... And and I think he's understanding of that, too. And uh, But he's also not going to go to war. He's like, look, you saw something terrible. I've seen some terrible stuff, too. And that was terrible for this man you love to die. But thousands of men that thousands of people love are all going to die. We can't, can't have war over this, you know. So <laughs> uh, I'm appreciating his line. And so we have something interesting to look forward to, assuming... I'm assuming this will happen next season that we'll see this come to fruition and we'll see what will come out of it. But the idea of Tristane and Marcella going to King's Landing and Tristane taking a seat on the small council is kind of interesting, huh? It's kind of interesting. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be a small council. They don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's... They don't know what they're sending them to. (laughs) Yeah, it's also... That's a little peculiar, right? Dorian Martell... It might be interesting to see the interplay between Cersei and this punk kid from Dorne, right? Except th- that's not that's not going to happen. I'm pretty sure he's not going to ever make the small council. Yeah, it's interesting that Doran doesn't seem to be aware of what's going on in King's Landing. There's all this... Uh, hell is broken loose, or heaven, if you're... You know, <laughs> uh, the faith of the seven. And the queen is in jail, and the other queen is in jail, and the queen's brother is in jail, and all this stuff is happening, and the king is helpless, and... Yeah, that, you'd think that Doran might consider that before sending his son and heir, and but apparently his only child, which is different from the books, to this dangerous situation. But he may just have a really high opinion of Tristane. Tristane is, you know, he takes after his father, but he showed the whole mercy thing with, you know, with the elbow thrown in. Yeah. There were some things that confused me a little bit about this scene. Ilaria, did, you, did, you, did Ilaria's turnaround, was it a little too quick? She just, you know, she's presented with death or submission, and she kind of came, just started crying and turned it around and and was playing nice with Jamie from that point on, and I don't know, is she pretending, or is she just, or is it just a really quick turnaround for her character? I uh, feel like they've done that a lot this season, has kind of rushed some character changes, and so that, so it's hard to, it kind of masks the possibilities. I don't think she's had a complete turnaround for one thing. I, I thought that maybe the moment when she's, like, coming to tears with Doran there... I thought that was pretty good, actually, because I think it's almost like he's forcing her to accept Oberon's death. Does that make sense? Look, you're after revenge, but even if you get revenge, which I'm not going to let happen, he's still dead. You need to come <laughs> to terms with this. And I, I kind of think that's what hmm. was happening in that. That's how I interpret that moment. I, I like that quite a bit. But then I will also say that when she goes to visit Jamie, I wasn't so much thinking of that as a turnaround. I she still has to like move along day to day in this world, and maybe on some levels to turn around. But the thing I took from that scene, the thing I thought was interesting, is she said, "She said, um, you know, I understand your daughter wasn't responsible for what happened. You know, I'm not trying to punish her, and maybe you weren't even guilty of that. 
Of course he's not guilty of that. That's how I was thinking to myself. Like, Wait. Well, what I mean is, though, <laughs> I felt like there was a dot, dot, dot at the end of that, but someone is. Oh, yeah. Well, but... I'm not yeah. taking this out on you. Fair enough. Won't take it on your daughter. Fair enough. Maybe I shouldn't start a war. Someone's going down. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we have two identical questions from Billy Davis the third as well as Johannes Petman, who are both asking, what small council seat will Tristane get? Ah, that's a very good question. I don't know what spots are open right now. It hasn't exactly been something that's been paid close attention to as far as who the show is assigned. We know Mace Tyrell is Master of Ships and Master of Coin, and Kyburn is Master of Whisperers. So there is no... I suppose there's no Master of Laws right now. And, of course, the other Samal Council seat goes to Grand Maester Pycelle. So I guess he's going to be Master of Laws. Well, let me ask, I have a couple questions, actually. Who was Master of Laws before? It used to be Renly, but I don't know yeah, who it was so in between like, Renly and... So not having one? You know, I feel like it's kind of in flux who, when, why people are Masters of whatever. What was Oberon Master of? Well, remember, he, when, he, when his first appearance at the Small Council, he's like, well, which, what am I? Right. He's asking. They didn't, they didn't answer the question. Yeah, the question I think was it might answered. be interesting. Honorary member, honorary master. I don't, I don't I'm assuming, because of that, I'm assuming Master of Laws, but you might be right. They may not have I don't know given how him an official title. consistent it is from house to house. You know, like, I can imagine there's even roles that someone has that they don't have at master level or, or could be, depending on... Like, I can imagine the master of coin might be more important for the king and for the Lannisters than it is at Winterfell. Winterfell might not have a master of coin, for mm. example. I don't know if that's true, but I can just imagine that scenario. You know? right so that's an open question. They may, like you said, it may not even happen. You may not get to yeah, yeah, be able to get, that may not even come to pass. <laughs> Another good question here from Coldbus. When Doran mentioned Tommen being king of the Andals and first men, was it intentional that he did not mention the Rhoynar? Because the Rhoynar are another ethnic group that are part of the whole situation. That would be, that is a good question to answer. However, the fact is that the Rhoynar always get left off. All the times that the title, in the books, the title always includes the Rhoynar. But the show has just left that off consistently. Robert was never mentioned as king of the Rhoynar. Stannis doesn't claim to be king of the Rhoynar. He should be. They should be doing that, but I guess it's just a way for them just, just to save just three it. seconds. Yeah, there's nothing, it, it's not relevant to any other kind of plot line or whatever in a show. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's a good question, but unfortunately the show has just avoided that all the way through. I had a question, by the way. Sure. Remember when Jamie was writing with his left hand, Ilaria kind of made fun of him. He's like, well, your Meister promised to rewrite it for me. <laughs> Who's their Meister? Who's the Dornish? Uh, they, they've been interesting. They haven't brought it up. They've been yeah. interesting characters to me in general. They've all been, uh, at a minimum, interesting to me. So I was curious. In the books, even? In yeah, he, no, there's a Meister in the books. His name is... Does he have speaking lines? Is he, does yes, he have he does. flavor? Uh, I forget his name. Is it spoilery to talk about it? A little. Okay, never yeah, mind. Sorry. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Now, um, Adam Duran wants us to notice that Ilaria was bowed, bent, and broken by, during the end, by the end of her scene with Duran, which is kind of cool. I didn't notice that. He, yeah. Kinda, yeah, she kind of mm-hmm. was. Maybe she wasn't broken, but she was definitely bowed and bent. And we were certainly discussing just a moment ago whether or not she was truly yeah. broken, and she might have been. Also, it was interesting also that the girls, the Sand Snakes, were a witness to that. It kind of like sort of assume, again, I feel the intent of that scene is to show they're all in line. They're going to fall in line, too. I feel like that's the reason we see that scene the way that we do. But maybe not. Maybe not. It'll be interesting. So, Johannes Petman wants to know, who would win in a writing competition, Jamie or Davos? <laughs> I can answer that. 
Definitely Davos. He carved that stag, that wooden stag that he gave to Shireen. And, like, if he can do that with just nubs on one hand... Yeah, but he can... He has another drawback. He can barely read, so he might get a lot of spelling errors, you know. Like. He's been one-handed, semi-one-handed for a lot longer than Jamie, too. He's been more practiced at Yeah, but Jamie's been literate for a lot longer than Davos, so <laughs> it'll be a big good match. That's all I'm saying. Carly Kenny wants to know, why were the accents in Dorne so bad? Well, I can't answer that, <laughs> but <laughs> they were a little inconsistent. Backing up just a little bit, because I was just talking about it, question from watchner Helene May. Do you think that Shireen holding the stag in her hand as she was being burned signaled the end of House Baratheon? I wasn't aware she carried the, the, the stag with her to the, the fire. I didn't notice I don't, that either. I don't, I don't remember. I'm oh, not sure. I want to go back and see now, though. Yeah. I remember having a similar thought about Tywin having those swords forged from... Uh, Robert's, ice, yeah. uh, Robert's Ned's, from yeah. uh, Ned's sword, and I remember at that moment thinking because that was relatively early on, and clearly now the it was the first scene apart. of that season. It was, yeah. yeah, I remember thinking to myself, I remember thinking or even talking about whether or not that was sort of like the nail in a coffin for the Starks. Was that symbolic, or was that like, uh, if you only knew Tywin, you're so naive. You think you're on top of the world right now, but it's just the beginning of your end. You know, I, I wonder if that was a similar sort of a, especially since I've already kind of supposing that Stannis is going to fall apart as a man. Yeah. I bet it was. I bet that. I really want to see that now. I really want to see what she holding that thing at that moment. Some point out, we also have a comment here from Young Buck 189 who points out that Stannis is a double kinslayer in a, in a sense because of his participation in the murder of Renly. Yeah, it was through supernatural means, but you could... Even that one, I, not that he isn't a kinslayer, but I'm so curious how it would work in this world, because Renly was a traitor. He was active. He was like... It, yeah. it was sort of in self-defense. It might not have been honorable and on the battlefield, but he met with him to tell him, hey, look, brother, I'm the rightful heir. What do you think you're doing? Me, 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 me. Look, I'm telling you, we're going to go to war, and I'm going to kill you if you don't bend the knee. Me, 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 me. All right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Like, who wouldn't have been a Kinslayer in that scenario? Like, it would, how different would it have been if they met in a battlefield and yeah. Stannis plunged his sword into Renly's heart? I don't know how different it would have been. Right? Would he still been considered a Kinslayer and looked down on some after would, that? Some would have argued so, but some would have been... Like, a, say... It would be a, yeah, it would be a debate. Yeah, what if he'd been captured and had him executed? Would he have been in Kinslayer then? I don't, I don't know. Like, but Shireen is totally different. There's they, no way around got, that one. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> There's no way around that. Okay, so more about Dorne. We have a great question. We'll, we'll go down to Braun and the Sand Snakes. Great question from watching her Jake Vanderwick, a.k.a. Jake the Fifth. The game of slapsies between the Sand Snakes and the prison cell was riveting last night. Really developed those characters, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, was in, I was amused by the scene. I agree that it wasn't uh, maybe not the best use of time, but I, I kind of liked it anyway. I liked seeing the competitiveness between them. But, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't a great scene. What did you think about that? Uh, it was fine. They're, they're keeping those characters in a fold. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways it could have, should have better developed those characters, but I feel like... There's at least an attempt there, releasing something. Additionally, it's a little bit of comic relief. In fact, I, I, I didn't think of him this way till till recently, but Braun is kind of comic relief also. Uh, and that is uh, Shakespeare used comic relief. In the most serious tragedies of Shakespeare, he still had jesters farting. You know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, that yeah. out of line to break up some tension with comedy. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's perfect and I love it. I'm a little frustrated, but I feel it's uh, 
better than it started. I feel like <laughs> I, I, yeah. I appreciate the past couple scenes of the Sand Snakes more than the first one. I'm with you there. Now, watching her, Blazak Bronowski, apologize if I said your name wrong, wants to know, who is the most beautiful woman in the world? The one with the daggers. <laughs> Tyne, there you go. Tyne, there you go. You, <laughs> so you agree. All right. <laughs> From Richard M. I have to know if you laughed to tears when Nymeria slapped Tyne in the or Tyne slapped Nymeria in the face. I didn't laugh to tears, but I did laugh. I thought it was funny. That was a good comic relief moment, and I definitely didn't see it coming. I thought she was going to try to play the game, and all of a sudden, wham, right in the face. That was funny. It's just, it's funny to me. I love to think about the fact that Bronn somehow survived all this. It was His death was just, like, so heavily foreshadowed in so many different ways. He's talking about how do you want to die, you know, what's the yeah, worst way yeah. to die. Then there's the whole poisoning and the whole foreshadowing of the poisoning with the snake by Jamie's ear in their first scene on the beach. And just so much, it's like, oh, I just, he had that Star Trek red shirt on and was <laughs> showing it off. But he did not die, and it looks like he's out of the woods for now. I mean, for now, always... I was gonna say it's not too late. It, I guess he probably isn't gonna die this season, and I'm glad because he's one of my favorite characters. But uh, it maybe even is uh, I don't know how to say this a, a red herring, you know, keep us guessing at what's going on. I I wonder if they just accidentally set us up to think he was gonna die, or if how intentional it was. I also wonder who else is going back. Uh, so Tristane and Marcella and Jamie and I assume Braun. They're just going to, like, walk across the desert to a boat and sail back secretly? Or is this going to be a big ordeal when they return? Is it going to be known that Jamie went down there? What is the High Sparrow going to think of this? Also, are the Snake Snakes going to go? Is Alaria going to go? Or any of them? Will, maybe Tyene will go with them. Maybe that relationship will continue. Or maybe be. all three of them will go as bodyguards. To you would think that Tristane he would demand a similar kind of oath from them. It probably just had to not spend too much time on that. It makes a lot of sense for Tristane to have guards go with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons for it to be the Sand Snakes. That's, Definitely. If I had to make a guess, I think they're all going to go back together. From El Marby, when Doran told Ilaria that her rebellion was over, was Sean surprised to learn that there was even a rebellion? That lame fight in the courtyard was not what I would call a rebellion. Yeah, I have to agree. I was like, well, I don't know if that was a rebellion. It was a, a plot. <laughs> I, I think Doran on some level was poking at her. Okay. Your rebellion is over. <laughs> Cut this out. You know, that, that's how I Time to that grow time. up. Yeah. <laughs> you wonder what Doran's long-term plan is, if he's just trying to play nice or if he has something else in mind. But there hasn't been much hint for that. One, one uh, little point I wanted to make is I appreciated Jamie kind of sticking up for Braun there. I, I also appreciated his line. Like you said it's a flea bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I thought Jamie handled himself pretty well in that scene, and I, I'm glad that he didn't just throw Braun to the wolves. So. Yeah, that was cool. That, that that was definitely a likable moment for uh, for Danny there for sure. For Danny, <laughs> for for Jamie. <laughs> so let us go to Bravos. Bravos is exciting and fun and full of singing from our man Mace Tyrell, the Mace of Bass. Who sings better? Mace or Braun? Or Thoros of Mir, who sung, you know, several seasons ago? Tough question. I don't know. Tyrion sang pretty good, too, with the gag on. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> C. Hollett wants to know, who wouldn't want to buy a selection of Westerosi songs performed by Mace and Braun? Well, I would be all over that. I would certainly help their album sales. Now, what, what do you think about this scene in general? Arya passes by her target. Because she sees Marin and Mace. I guess it's no big deal. She knows he's going to be there again later. That's, he sits in the same spot every day. She can come back to him. But what, do you, what did you think about that? What did you think about the scene? It all kind of 
it all kind of flows together in a lot of ways. I, uh, I, th- I, I, one, I love the scene because I feel a little bit vindicated. I've been kind of predicting that that would get tied together, that, uh, yeah. Mace and, uh, Marin going to Bravos where, where Ari was, that that was going to be a thing, you know? Um, and, uh, <clears throat> it's, I, I do, I do wonder, like, I, I almost felt like she was maybe drawing too much, t- she might spoil the thing. Let me say, let, let me get to it. This is what I really think. Or what I was really wondering. Did Jake set this all up? Was this really about having her poison the dude, the the life insurance guy? Or did somehow he know that Trant was going to be there? Was it was this a bigger test? How... Uh, that would be interesting. How much knew. foresight? <laughs> how much are the gods involved? How much is this destiny? How much, you know... Even the way he, he sent her there, you know, he said something like, Hey, how can the man know what a girl's going to see, you know? I wonder if he if that was all set up in the first place. If the test is bigger than poisoning this guy, if he knew that this other conflict was coming, and I wondered that a little extra when she reports back, he's like, ah, oh, the man wasn't hungry. Maybe that's why he's so thin. <laughs> kind of like he doesn't call her on that lie. Uh, one, did she sell it that well? Two, maybe it was. Maybe he wasn't hungry. Uh, or maybe Jake didn't punish her for the lie. Maybe let her get away with the lie. Uh, maybe he's gonna I'm, watch her next time. Yeah, or maybe I'm he was very watching. intrigued by the whole scenario. I, I'm not. I haven't gone deep enough to think about what I want to come from it, or much less what I expect to come from it. I, I, my default is she's gonna pull her sword out and go try to kill Marin Trant. She's gonna. You know, I think she's gonna like whether or not she'll also kill the Thin Man, whether or not Jaken will let her get away with it, or she'll continue training afterwards. But I can imagine. Whether or not they cover, they only have one more episode in the season. It just doesn't seem like enough. Like, but I can imagine her train is going to get cut short, and she's not going to become a faceless, faceless man. Would she be a faceless man, faceless woman, faceless girl? Not sure. Not sure. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's it's definitely kind of up in the air still. Did you? I I caught one hint there that I think is a clue to what might happen next episode. Marin, as he after he finally, you know, goes through his disgusting selection of girls scene there and he picks the super young girl and says you'll have another one for me tomorrow indicating that he wants a different girl tomorrow maybe she'll be the girl one of these times eventually i think that's what they're setting up yeah that would certainly i can't imagine her having an opportunity to be up close with him any other way yeah i mean she got pretty close there but she also got was constantly like hey what are you doing here get out get out of here but can you imagine her just like stabbing him in a room with a bunch of people there and running away like that like she'd need to be alone with him well, she, one, is she willing to die to do it? She might be happy. Stabbing her to death, get killed and beaten, killed herself. All right, but she got her revenge. She's willing yeah. to die. She's willing to give up who she is. She's willing to be someone else. She might be willing to die to kill Marin Trant. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if she is. She might change her mind at the moment and regret it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. What, what else is she willing to do? Is she willing to... You know, prostitute herself to do it. Will she, can she even do it? I, I don't know if it's a given she'll be able to kill Marin Trent. Even with the even if he's unarmed and she has a sword, I don't know if she just automatically gets to kill him for free. I don't know if it'll be that easy. Uh, I realize we're answering a question that was asked here. Does do you think Arya is going to be the fresh one that Marin wants for tomorrow? Well, I pair, yes. Yeah. <laughs> as we as you can tell, we do think that, or I think that. Uh, Sean, I guess you're at least partly convinced of that possibility. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I, I guess it is possible, but uh, it's not really what I expect. Uh, I, I'm not even sure I expect her to kill him. I, I'm, 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 I'm wondering. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like she might, she might abandon it. She might. 
Especially if Jaken catches her or suspects her. You know what I mean? I that can... would be something. What would Jaken do if he caught her killing somebody else? Will he will he punish her and be mad and kick her out? Or will he understand and accept and continue training? Uh, or somewhere he... in between, punish yeah. her during the training. Yeah, it's, uh, be, yeah, you don't know. It's a, it's hard to say what Jaken will do about this. We he already kind of acknowledged that she might not be ready, but so what, right? We kind of caught that, that moment. Um, but was that a... So what, we don't kill the life insurance guy, or so what, we do kill the life insurance, or so what, she gets caught and killed herself, or is that, uh, I don't know what that so what attitude he had meant exactly, or so what, she doesn't become one of us, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what he meant by that, especially in retrospect, thinking about if he was setting her up to have this conflict with Marin Tran in the first place, and again, even as, as I think about that, I don't even know if he knows that's what he's doing. In the same way that sometimes I wonder if Melisandre understands her own powers or her own predictions. I don't know if he understands his own instructions. If he's guided by the gods in some manner. Hmm. He's just doing what he feels or what he's told or directed spiritually. How much intent there is behind it, you know. Which maybe the waif doesn't even understand. And he does. And that's why he's able to say, so what? Hey, this is what the gods are telling us to do. Let's just do it. Who are we to question? You don't like her. That doesn't mean the gods don't have a plan, you know. Yeah, that's true. Apparently, Susan DeLeon also wanted to know about whether Arya would be punished for lying to Jaqen. And, and, yeah, we that's definitely possible. Also punished. What would punishment be? <clears throat> Slapped, you know, hit with a stick on the arm or kicked out of the House of Black and White? I don't know what kind mm. of finger chopped off. Burned at the stake. There's a wide range of punishments possible in this world, so... Now, from Dornish Dan, we have the Iron Bank is immensely powerful and influential and dangerous. What's Sherlock's reaction to when Cersei sends a buffoon to negotiate the Iron Throne's huge debt? I don't believe Mace is acting silly in a patriarchal society. Yeah, I thought the, bi the back and forth between the banker and Mace was interesting. There's some interesting undertones. He brings up Mace is a little, kind of talks down to him a little bit without, you know, while being friendly. He's kind of like, yeah, usury is kind of, uh, you know, calls him, you know... Talks, talks bad about money lending and talks about gam how it's gambling and and the the banker is like yeah I don't drink you know <laughs> he's like yeah. kind of like well yeah I can be I can be cold to you as well and it is interesting to see how that's going to go Dornish Dan also suggests that you are probably right about the possibility of Jake and knowing Marin Trant because. There's a lot of theorizing on byplay between the Iron Bank and the Faceless Men. Surely they're aware of each other's existence. They're both in Bravos and they're powerful institutions. We don't know what kind of truck they have with each Jake other. Jake was even in Westeros. That's still kind of a thing. I wonder why was he there in the first place? You yeah. know how. So it's possible that that went back and forth between them. So he might know about he might if he doesn't know about Marin Trant, he he might know soon. He might even be able to anticipate it. He knows that. Westeros owes money to the Iron Bank, and the Iron Bank's getting impatient. In fact, gave money to to Stannis, right? Like, he could be aware of these things. It, it couldn't be that far-fetched of a prediction. Again, kind of like Melisandre. Maybe it's not these... She even, at one point, talked about how, like, hey, sometimes I use trickery to draw people in, but there's also real power, and eventually yes, they see that too. very true, so, very true. Um, another thought I had, uh, I'm not sure about this. I want to think about it some more, but... Because so far, Mace has been presented as kind of bumbling. But I honestly felt like he was doing an okay job there. He might have made a slight misstep. It's like, hey, I'll give you some wine. Like, go oh, on drink. Oh, okay, well, you don't drink. Well, you know, some people don't like this idea of, like, financing or whatever. But I respect it. We're not gamblers. <laughs> oh, you are. Come on. You, you, 
you know, it's just my way of looking at it, but check it out. Look what you've accomplished. He was paying homage. He was giving him credit. He was trying to build him up, if you will. And additionally, um, as awkward, if you will, as it might have been for him to sing, still showed a lot of confidence. And, yeah. uh, and think about who didn't like him sing. Trent. Trent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he, I can imagine on some level he might be winning these guys over. Uh, at, at least to the point where they're not going to like seize him and put a knife to his throat. You know what I mean? They're, they're recognizing he's not a threat. He might make them underestimate him. That too, yeah. Uh, whether or not Mace even realizes or intends all this, I'm not sure. I am only wondering if he's not quite as bumbling as he comes across at first. In an interview, the actor indicated that exactly, which he, he might have just been playing up his own character. But yeah, I, and I agree with you. I was going to, in fact, I have that same thing in my notes that he's a bit of a buffoon, but he is not at all intimidated or lacking confidence. He's yeah. not that he's, he's faced with this big job and he's in a foreign land. He's, you know, these bankers that are really powerful and he's just like, do, 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 you know, I'll send you some wine. I'm going to sing in front of you. He's not at all, yeah, he's not intimidated, which I think yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of, of a plus for him, yeah. yeah. It's, I even wondered in that scene when Cersei was like, so you're going to go to Bravos and Marin Trant's going with you. To me, that came across as, and depending on who the characters involved were, that might have been a more... Cersei was able to do that very calm and casually. But if it had been a different person, she might have been like, no, you're going to go, and this guy's going to take you and make sure of it. But she didn't have to do that. Mace might on some level have realized he didn't have a choice there, but he doesn't have to be combative about it. He's like... All right, cool. I'll tell Bravos you said hi. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he, he, he might be more aware of what's going on, but just has a more positive attitude. Isn't a, a, a combative person in the first place? Is going to make the best of it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, even think as he showed up, he's like, "Oh, I was a bit choppy at the end." You know, how was your trip? Oh, was a... <laughs> he was honest. He, he didn't give a, a totally bland answer, but he didn't go on complaining. He wasn't fresh. Like, get me off this stupid boat. You know what I mean? He's, yeah. He seems to be a little self-centered, but not in a, like a but in an obsequious way. Not yeah. Like I... a... In a friendly kind of way. But. I would like to see him feature more. I'd like to see his character fleshed out more. I think he's an interesting character so far. Right on. I think I think we'll at least get a little more. You wonder if if Marin Tran ends up dead. You wonder what he'll what his uh, reaction to that will yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my Kingsguard, my personal Kingsguard is dead. Oh no. <laughs> you know, will he like escape to the streets of Bravos, or he'll just probably just stay there and coordinate with the Iron Banks and the Raven back, let them know what happened. Maybe order an investigation. There are other guards there with them too, I suppose. You know. Yeah. Uh, my 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 guess is those guys aren't exactly endeared by Marin Trant either. You know. Uh, I I will say I feel like Marin Trant's days are numbered. <laughs> I don't think he's gonna last long. One way or another. Yeah. They made. I mean, it's it's one of those things that they made him. They, everybody already hated him. There's like no reason to like the guy. He supposedly killed Sirio and. He's always been kind of a jerk, kind of a smacked Sansa. Yeah, he like he was he had no trouble. Yeah, he had no he didn't have any qualms about doing that. And he's just he's abrasive. He says awkward things, and then this whole thing in the brothel where you're just like, okay, well, this guy is the worst. (laughs) Yeah. And so yeah, it's like it's it's almost like it's it's going to be if he dies, it'll be a satisfying moment. I think it's like a payoff. It's because he's like a he's not an important character. I just thought of something though. What's that? Not sure about this. He might not die. He might replace Ramsay if Ramsay dies. If they keep, if they uh, kind of make sure to keep there being a just pure villainous, mm. love to hate character from Viserys to Joffrey to Ramsay to Trant. 
possible. Well, maybe they just made everyone hate Stannis now. <laughs> yeah, maybe Stannis, yeah. <laughs> okay, so remember, folks, who are, this is a live event. If you are participating with us live, make sure to check out the questions that are being asked on the Q&A feature. You can upvote questions that you want to see asked or ask your own. Some of the best questions that have been asked we haven't gotten to yet because we're waiting to get to that location. Of course, we only have one location left. And at the end, since we're doing okay on time, we're going to come back and circle back and ask, uh, rather answer some questions that were about the locations that we've already left. First of all, let's see. Billy Davis III says, absolutely, Sean. Roger Ashton Griffiths suggested in S4 that his character is smarter than lets on. That's what I was referring to. So that's a little verification from a Washington out there that I wasn't just uh, misremembering that. That's good to have. So be interesting to see. Here's a good question from James Smith. Why did Mace have Lannister guards with him and not soldiers from the Reach. Well, I think that's because Cersei wanted to keep him kind of yeah. on lockdown. Remember when she sent him off, she was like, and Marion's going with you, and Marion was like, mm, like kind of hovering over him like, you're mine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're, I'm I not just your was, bodyguard. Yeah, I don't. I think he was as much taken prisoner as sent as an ambassador. I yeah. Think. I think Mace could have been like, well, I'm going to take some Reach soldiers with me. And Cersei wouldn't have been like, no. But... Mace just he just he either isn't worried or he's oblivious. But it was yeah, it's it's a good that's a very good observation that it's a little odd for him to have Lannister guards instead of Reachmen. Okay. Um I think that's all we have for Bravos. Do you have any more observations on Bravos? Folks, if you if if, if any questions pop up on Bravos, we can always come back to it. We're still we're doing all right on time here. So let us go to the big the big scene here in Marine with the pit. Marine. Okay, so first of all, the stadium itself was epic. Every, Seeing the stadium from above was really neat. Every time he said the pit, I think the pit of dis- <clears throat> the pit of despair. <laughs> so, what are your overall thoughts on the scene from from a, just a generic, not touching on anything in particular, just the pit uh, as my... a whole. Overall thoughts well, are real quick. Let me interrupt you. Okay. You you know you knew it was going to happen. You because we we Sean and I watched it, watched together. We watched the episodes together. I, I've already seen it by the time Sean has seen it. He comes home a little from work. We watch it together after I've already seen it. A group of us watch together. And you said about a minute before Drogon appeared, you were like, "Oh, this is going to be like Ghost appearing to save Sam and Gilly." And I was like, "Yep." <laughs> like you guessed it. I didn't say that, but I was like. There, I guess you're not going to be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> overall, my overall take on the scene is positive. I think that there is a lot of good dialogue there in the beginning, and it's cool to see, you know, Danny right off in a dragon. Not so much just right off in a dragon, but uh, if you will, like, see her tame the dragon, if that makes sense. Um, if I keep talking, I'm going to get into more detail, but my frustrations were that the action was just handled kind of poorly. That's tempered by the fact that action's handled poorly all the time. I just got used to it. I, I just have to like I just have to get over it, I guess. The action just is handled poorly all the time. The intent of the scene was gotten across. Um, and it was a cool moment. It was a momentous moment. And there was a lot of good dialogue mixed in with poor action. Um, and there was even one little bit of action I appreciated. It uh, Drogon wasn't just impervious to being injured. He isn't just like indestructible you know those spears would hit him and hurt him you know so i think that's an interesting factor it shows that 
Danny really isn't ready to invade Westeros at all. Those, those yeah. dragon, like the yeah. dragon, was vicious and powerful, but it was not an army beater. Not invulnerable. Yeah, yeah, those spears were penetrating. Yeah, so he, he, you know, they weren't getting deep in there, but they were hurting him. He was yelling in pain. And... Yeah. So okay, so let's talk some more specifically. Uh, I thought the first little opening fight. First of all, Danny uncomfortable the whole time, very clearly, and it was a mixture because I thought the early part. There's a lot of facial acting in this episode in general that was important. A lot of people just, just going by just the reaction. Stannis was a huge one. Solis and Shireen as well. Although Shireen was also screaming. But there's... there, And then there's the looks on people's faces. Like even Hisdar and Tyrion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But D- Danny, I thought, Amelia Clark, the first half of the scene, she did a, her facial acting was really good. And the second half, I thought it was kind of bad. And... Well, that's just as it is. So, but I thought this first little duel, the first little fight between the big guy and the little guy was a total homage to the Red Viper versus Tyrion. Red, Red Viper versus Tyrion. Red <laughs> Viper versus the Mountain. And it was, I didn't, didn't realize that at first, but then I'm like, oh yeah, it's, the, it's kind of the executive. And Tyrion is watching again, although this time he has no stake in it, really. But it's the same thing. A little guy's winning, everyone thinks he's winning. All of a sudden, boom, head. Yeah. Instead of a head crushed, it's a head chopped off. And I love the byplay of Dario commenting. You got a little sense of his jealousy in there, he wants oh, to like yeah. show up his dar a little bit. He's definitely his putting his dar in his place, if you will. Yeah, he even told him to shut your mouth at one point. Yeah, <laughs> Flat when, out, when just... Jorah appeared. When Jorah yeah. appeared, and Danny was like trying to struggle with her decision on what to do there. And yeah, I, I thought also Tyrion was kind of saying what Danny was thinking. He was like, "What's on her mind?" What we kind of heard her say before. Tyrion's thing was, which is, I think, is a way to show how they're really meant for each other in a sense, yeah. not like romantically, but hey, hey. Uh, yeah, so that's possible. <laughs> but I'm just not saying that. Uh, so, <laughs> but what I am saying is that like she, she's got to, she, she had to have tuned into that and been like, hmm, yeah, he, he's disgusted by this pretty much the exact same way I am, and he put it into words really well. And it's funny how he says, yeah, his dar, you're really eloquent, but really his eloquence was more, you know, more on point there. I thought. What did you think of their debate about... I don't know if it's more on point. I, I did appreciate that some of Hisar's eloquence was going to uh, defend or justify this violence. But I really did like when he said, you think you know the minds of men better than they do? That was you a good know, point. Like, yeah, he did like, make a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he. But that's also a point that Tyrion is making. Like, just because you have some good points doesn't mean you're right about everything. So, imbeciles are right sometimes, too. You know? <laughs> exactly, <So>. yes. <laughs> Now, we also have debate about g- great things, the conditions required, or the necessary conditions for greatness is how we put it, and, and that debate about how killing and cruelty are just a necessary part of life. I think most of us are like, what the hell are you talking about, Hisdar? That's nonsense. And Tyrion tried to explain it, and I think he did a decent job, but, you know, some things happened, some action happened to maybe cut the conversation a little short. But what did you think about that? that little dialogue. I thought it was kind of interesting. There were some, some undertones that were really interesting I don't, to it. I don't like it, and this could be a whole discussion, but Hisdar's kind of right. It might depend on how you define greatness, but if you think of the things throughout history that are great, Alexander the Great, mm-hmm. slaughtered people, destroyed mm-hmm. civilizations. Mm-hmm. He sure did. <laughs> the, the pyramids. Oh, yeah. Even America, built on slavery. You, I mean, in, in a way, he is right. Now, Tyrion points out the way things are and the way they should be aren't necessarily the same. He also points out but, that, what is, are you sure those things are great? Right, right, you know, right. Like, I don't uh, know that the pyramids are great. They're certainly stunning. 
But if you factor in all the blood that went into it, I don't know that they're yeah. great. But uh, but they generally are thought of as great. They're yes, a feature agreed. of humanity and yes. our world and our culture. They're, they're one they're of the seven wonders. Wonder, yeah, exactly. On and on and on. I agree. And most things of that nature, most things that are revered and taught and part of history and remembered for centuries, whatever great is, you know what I mean? He even tried to point out, look, what... You might think you're great, but you're you've only been here twenty years and you're gonna be dead in twenty years. This city's been here centuries and it's gonna be here centuries. This city's great, and this is part of this city. And uh, <laughs> I like how Danny was like, "Are you? Sh- the city might not be here actually." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And 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 she said that, but to me that was like a weak comeback because what could she do? How could she command that city? Even if literally every person in that city was killed, the structure of that city is still there. <laughs> yeah. And she probably couldn't destroy everyone in that city. And it wouldn't be great for her to do that. Like, no, she's. I think she's just wrong there. That city is great. It will last longer. She couldn't bring that city down if she wanted to. Um, is this foreshadowing what Danny is faced with by coming to Westeros? If she if, if she comes to Westeros, she's going to have to mess some things up. And, she's going to have to fact, kill people. Innocents are going to die for I her mean, to become queen. We just saw Stannis kill her own, his own daughter. You know, I yep. think we're kind of seeing that, 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 that conundrum. parallel. And again, I don't know if it has to be that way or if it should be that way. If humanity and culture should reevaluate what is great. But there are definitely lots of suffering, even with noble intention. Even the end of slavery, the Civil War included the death of thousands, scores of thousands of people. And uh, it's hard to accomplish a great thing. And again, this could be very controversial, but there are those that would argue the Civil War was unnecessary. Or at least at that moment in that manner. If it was planned a little bit longer, they took a little more time, imposed an embargo, you probably still could have waged that war and ended slavery without as much death and destruction as it was handled in that exact way. And... um, it's pretty easy to say that, and I don't, I'm not saying I disagree, but it's always pretty easy to say that you can do better than war. Because what is worse than war, really? Like, it's the worst, yeah, it's yeah, pretty much, like, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not saying much to say that, well, we could have probably done better. Yeah, so I agree, I do agree with that. It's like, well, war is the worst possible result, so if we didn't go to war, then we probably did better. Yeah, yeah. But if we didn't go to war and maintained a slave state, well, then I'm not sure if we're doing yeah, that. Yeah. But what if we point. don't go to war and kill 100,000 people and maintain a slave state for one day, one year, 10 years, one generation? When does the war become worth it? You know, I, and, I don't know. But, and this is, that's a really good question. And that's, that shows the difficulty of making these decisions in the real world. It's harder in this fantasy environment. Let's take. Let's go back to Stannis for a minute. This is a point that I had in my notes that we kind of skipped over, but this is a good good part to talk about it. Relor could be real. Melisandre could be right. She could be like, "Look, this is the only way we're going to survive. You have to kill your daughter. That's it. That's the only option we have." What if he's? What if she's right? It's like, uh, it's actually possible that she's right. This it doesn't make it doesn't mean we should be any less disgusted because yeah, we still right. have a, our reaction to it is very human. We're like this is a young girl screaming. So yeah, it, it was horrible. But putting ourselves in the story, this is a world where gods might be real. And magic is definitely real. The supernatural is absolutely real. In our world we don't have that concept. The concept of killing a child to prevent civil war isn't a reality in this world anymore. It used to be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be in, in medieval time when monarchical, monarchical societies were all over the place. 
literally the existence of a young child as innocent as possible could cause civil war not directly but in a in a way that anyone would be aware of and that can be true here of course Shireen is a total innocent and i'm not saying that stannis was right in burning her but it's possible that melisandre was right that and that's just a really hard to wrap my head around but it's possibly accurate and i'm like ah <laughs> so danny is faced with that same thing if she wants to get on the iron throne if she wants to root out the great masters of the, and the, the sons of the harpy some innocents might die along the way and it might be correct because it's better than the alternative more innocents die if she doesn't do it and yeah. it's like ah so ah it's moral conundrums are one of the things i love about game of thrones and even though the show has made some of them weaker it hasn't some of the kind of great conundrums from the books aren't there there's still some of them that are that are that are there that are really powerful and this is i think this episode as disturbing as it may have been in some ways it did produce some very interesting conundrums and some of it was through debate some of it was through showing and i thought that was kind of interesting maybe very, that's one of the themes of this episode i used to be very active in this uh, political philosophical forum and I posed a question one time, and I know this is kind of vague, and of course forums like this, they go all over the place, uh, but uh, just this idea this that I was trying to understand, especially it's a sort of a fundamental disagreement that creates a lot of different thoughts or opinions or directions on what you think government or society should do, but, and, and I, I, my opinion, uh, let me try to spit this out, uh, would you rather accomplish nothing, good or bad? Just go through life, mm. consume food, die. Uh, or would you do great things and awful things? Uh, Which would you prefer? And uh, me personally, and what I kind of expected everyone else to say is like, I'd rather just not do anything bad. I'd rather not risk doing bad things in order to do good things. I'd rather just not do anything. That's kind of how I feel and kind of what I thought. No one agreed with me. <laughs> everyone thought that it's worth risking bad things to accomplish good things. Wow. And um, that's interesting, and I wonder if some of that is part of that is just you know the way they th- imagine the question in their minds, what they imagine, what because great what thing is a bad, what is good, is a really open ended, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Which again, like I said, I know the question is very vague in the first place, and I was trying to word it in a way to give you my intent of the question. But again, once even if you understand my intent, you might equate it in your mind to kill one girl in order to save 5,000 lives. Mm. But I think if I ask this theoretical question in this forum, I still don't know how many people would say, yeah, you should kill one girl to kill 5,000 lives. And (laughs) even if people do agree, yeah, you should kill one girl to save 5,000 lives. If you watch this episode of Game of Thrones, I don't know if even those people are like, yeah, you did the right, of course you did the right thing. I would have done the same. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's when you see, when you're confronted with it, the actual one person dying, it's yeah. harder to do, even though, you know. So, but, and then of course this is harder because we don't know that Stannis is right. We don't know that Melisandre is right. We, and we've got plenty of reasons to think she might not be. But we have to consider the possibility that she's right. So, okay, let's, we've got a lot of good questions here for the pit scene. So let's dive into those. First of all, the most popular question from Lucas Prizek. Do you think Hisdar faked his death? His abrasiveness during the fighting seemed like he was looking forward to the assault. Plus, he came in late saying he had to make sure everything was in order. When he made that, when he said that line, when he came in late and said, I'm just making sure everything's in order, did, you, did, you, did that make you suspicious of anything? At that moment, no. Uh, <laughs> but after everything happened, I did become suspicious. And I went back and, I mean, I always go watch the episode another time or two, but I specifically, and that seemed like, rewind, pause, rewind, pause, 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 trying to... And it was pretty clear a dagger was plunged into his heart. 
and then stabbed two more times from behind and then was laying on the ground convulsing and bleeding to death. So doesn't mean that he wasn't involved in a conspiracy. He might have been killed anyway mm. uh, by people who didn't understand he was part of a conspiracy. Or we have that many killed, you know, armed thugs. They yeah. can't all have been Everyone officers. Everyone doesn't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, they may so. have. But you would think they would say, don't kill Hisdar, but maybe they didn't say that, yeah. or maybe they just didn't care. But it, it definitely put a lot of suspicion. I definitely went back and watched that scene several times, thinking about why he said, excuse me, why did they have that line in the beginning? You know, uh, there's, I imagine, more to come from this still. But uh, but maybe not. It, it is the type of thing that would frustrate me that, that, that it, it kind of when Tyrion and Jorah show up and Danny's like, oh, a gift for me, yes, Tyrion Lannister. Cut. <laughs> and the next time we see them, they're like in the palace, changed clothes and shaven and da da da. Like, did anyone say anything after that? They were just like, go mute and wait until next week. Or uh, I can imagine that, that a lot is going to be passed over because that's another thing I think about too in a scene like this. This is just devastating to society. Like, never mind the politics and the slavery and Danny and drag. Is that, let's just say somehow all that just doesn't matter, is blown over, whatever. The number of people that were killed there. So one of those guys was like the butcher for the, the market. And now they don't have a butcher for... One of those... Many of them were like fathers of kids who don't have fathers now. They, they Someone was the fisherman. Someone was the ship captain. Like, those people had roles in their communities that aren't being filled now. There are problems beyond those deaths and the slavery and the conflict of these, uh, what do you call the mass people? The Sons of the Harpy. Sons of the Harpy. There's a whole new issues of, pro- it's, it's nothing else. The bodies have got to be buried somewhere. You know, like, I, it's, and it's a it's certain humor to the, morbid humor to that, but just there is a logistical reality to what's going to happen that I just know the show's not going to deal with. They never deal with it. I hope they at least deal with how the conspiracies are put together. The fact that these guys are still out there. Like, I don't think Drogon killed every single one of them. Not even close. And yeah. another issue I had with this scene is they were freaking fanatical. How many people do you know who think of the most fanatical person, fucking Marine gung-ho GI, <laughs> Their friends are being burned to death and eaten alive by a motherfucking dragon. <laughs> and you still just, oh, let's go get them, charge forward? Jesus Christ, they're committed. They're not quitting just because the dragon showed up. You know what I mean? Like, Eventually, some of them started running away. But yeah, once yeah. once he started torching large groups of them, they started running away. But not, but even some of them didn't. Even yeah, Not, not so all of them, yeah. They're, the, it is not over. <laughs> the revolution is not over in Marine. Yeah, it yeah. might be over in Dorm, but it let is me, not over Let me Marine. jump in because you were talking, touching on something that was another good question here we have from sandy lemieux why were the harpies killing the audience well, like some it seemed like it seemed almost indiscriminate i think they might have been targeting specific people but it, it seemed sort of indiscriminate what were your take on that uh two i didn't think about this very much but my initial two thoughts are one they were just killing rich people in the audience uh a, a b terrors this is just an act of terror hmm. yeah it doesn't really get the commoners on their side they kind of want to Unite against Danny. It's Do not, they? I, I don't. I'm not. Maybe not. I mean, if there, if, if I, we haven't heard anyone from the Harpies say what they want. That's true. And and as you said, there some of them are awfully fanatical. And yeah. So that doesn't mean that they have thought this through necessarily. Who knows what other sorts of racism and prejudices are in the city of thousands and thousands? I don't know what the population is supposed to be. Tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands. Uh, probably a few hundred thousand. Because yeah. Tyrion asked, 
How many hundreds of thousands of people have you helped? He asked that question. So I don't know if the population of the city is hundreds of thousands. But in a city with a population of hundreds of thousands, there's going to be all sorts of reasons to kill someone, all sorts of prejudices <laughs> of family feuds and class disparity and racial racism and religious conflicts and on and on. So Another good question. That's a good answer there, Sean. <laughs> I'm reminded of this scene in uh, The Life of Brian. Fuck the people's Judean front. Screw the people's Judean front. <laughs> We're the Judean front of the people. <laughs> Great classic film. Okay, so here's another good good watcher question again from Carly Kenny. On fire today, Carly. Jorah touched Danny. Do you think she is safe from grayscale? Jorah was bleeding. He at least touched her with his other hand, his I, non-grayscale hand. I once again, just wasn't thinking about it at all. I just keep <laughs> forgetting to even consider it. Uh, until it's brought to my attention, and it wasn't brought to my attention that whole episode. That question just now is the first time I remember. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Who else did George touch? I almost want to watch the scene again thinking about that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, so you hope that he's not contagious, and if so, that it's only his left arm or his wrist, because it was his right yeah, arm. Yeah, but he was, all, but he was exactly. bleeding. He had gotten yeah. cut several times. So, yeah, that's... It's hard to say. We don't know how it works. We don't know how grayscale works exactly. We don't even exactly know how what exactly it was that caused Jorah to get it. We assume it was because he went in the water to get Tyrion out. I assume but it was because someone was, touched his arm. Yeah, he that's may have been exactly touched wrong. by him. I would assume someone yeah. just grabbed his arm, and that's the spot that became infected. So. I think it's a very good question and something we should be worried about. But, we, yeah, it's hard. We don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Danny is going to die from grayscale. I'll go ahead and say that. I don't think that's very likely. But... It did make me a little anxious. Like, hey, whoa, don't touch her. <laughs> like, hey, you're supposed to be, you just did this awesome job protecting her from a sat. You were the first one to realize the Sons of the Harpy were on the move from, that spear throw was amazing. Like, yeah. Jorah's badassness has been just on, you know, really on display these last few episodes. But, yeah, it's almost like he kind of threw that all away. He's like, dude, you're protecting her, but don't touch, don't touch her. No, <laughs> you have grayscale. So... Some other interesting things from this scene. Now, Danny is kind of gone. Uh, she's flown off, flew off on the, the dragon there. So here's another good question from Susan DeLeon. Can you shed some light on Danny's motivation for climbing on Drogon and leaving everyone behind to whatever fate? It seems like... It's not like all... Like you said, all Harpies had run off by then. It was kind of weird. She's like, hey, we kind of need you still. We need that dragon defending us down here. Not sure it's her motivation to question his Drogon's motivation. <laughs> yeah, she, she, I don't know. she might not have been total control. She gave the command long, to fly, but she, she didn't exactly the ride. say where. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I agree with that, we yeah. don't. It, it, it ended. She might have swooped around and come back, fireballed a bunch more people. I'm not sure. Uh, I assume she didn't get on a dragon and tell him, "Hey, fly far away from here as you can." You know, I assume that's not what happened. I think she, some combination, of didn't have control over where the dragon was flying, and or. They did fly back, and there more combat happened. We just didn't see it all. So. About the actual pit fighting, which I thought was interesting. It had some good moments and bad moments. I thought the it was a little awkward the way that Jorah was saved at the last minute by the Marinese champion guy just so he could fight Jorah. If he's going to like try to be the winner, he stabs a guy in the back and then lets Jorah stand up. Uh, 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 it's just kind of weird. Yeah, but that's just another generic action complaint. Like too much mixing of honor. You know, like sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. What yeah. kind of, what the rules of the fight are, what kind of presentation the different warriors have. They like, do it some ways sometimes, in other ways a different time. It's part of the thing that made me kind of frustrated with the scene. <laughs> yeah, and I also was a little frustrated with 
the spear throwing. They started throwing spears when the dragon lands, but if they had just started doing that sooner, Danny would have been dead. Yeah. They couldn't, there's no way they yeah. could have stopped it. They, they had her all encircled there, and they were kind of like slow to charge. They, it's like they were more eager to charge the dragon than they were to charge that circle of men, which is just, yeah. And, and like, yeah, and the spear throwing was just like, that was just, that was as bad as Asha not throwing an axe at, at, at Ramsey yeah, back yeah. in the, in the Dreadfort. I did have a thought, by the way. They, I can imagine why they might have been more excited to attack the dragon than the circle of men. They might have had a healthy respect for Unsullied. Hmm. Before the Unsullied even got there, I don't know, but I feel like they have a reputation that precedes them. And then once the Unsullied are there, they maybe have seen their power or even respected their, I guess they wouldn't care about them trying to protect the people or whatever. But the flip side is, I've gotten the idea that they don't like dragons, right? They hate dragons. Right. It's true. So they actively dragons. dislike dragons. So they might be scared of the Unsullied, want to attack the dragon. That might even explain to me, you know, my concern with why they were so gung-ho about charging what I thought was this terrible, terrifying, fantastic, fantastically terrifying whatever adjectives. <laughs> I well, can't think of enough adjectives to make me not want to go near it. <laughs> if they think it's important to kill the dragon more so than something else, that could mean they target the, the dragons that are locked up, which is an interesting possibility. Ooh, like those dragons yeah. just been sitting there and we're like, what's going to happen with them? They're just getting more and more pissed off about being locked away. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what they'll do with that. Here's another good question from Dornish Dan. Will the near universal positive reaction to the Hard Home Massacre force HBO to spend more money on CGI for better dragon rides? Yeah, good question. I hate to say it, but the CGI was a bit lacking. Some of the some of the dragon shots were awesome, and some of them were. I see people comparing it to the Neverending Story, and I have to agree. I had that same thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's and that movie was in like the 80s. So if you're being compared, if your CGI is being compared to a movie from the 80s, that's not a good good thing. Uh, I really liked some of the, like, the one overhead shot of Drogon torching some dudes was really cool, and his initial entrance was really cool, but her riding away, it was just really obvious that there was something else going on. And yeah, I, I think that maybe they wasted money on some things, I, and maybe should have spent more money on this. Uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully they don't, hopefully they maybe manage the money a little better, but I don't know. Maybe, I, I that, that's kind of getting out of range for what I'm comfortable being sure of, you know, I don't know what how expensive she is. I know it's expensive, yeah. but I don't know how expensive. I don't, it's, it's The decision is a little too nebulous for me to penetrate. I can imagine something like they have to like get a contract with a company or hire people to do it. And for this season, they just had a few scenes. And so they had a minimal. But next season, he might be there over and over again with all kinds of scenes and battles and so on. So they might go more all out. That might be part of the budget for next season. It wasn't really for this season. I would rather them spend more money on a whole other episode than better CGI per episode. I, I can see how bad CGI can kind of take people out of it and how the dragon is a big feature and excitement for the show, but uh, I'm okay with it. I, I, I had a moment of, like I said, uh, feeling like it's kind of like never in a story, the, the, kind of the, the view of her from behind coming, but it, I was not nearly as upset. I'd rather them hire a better choreographer for the fights. I, I, or a, a better screen editor, or what do you go to, a script doctor or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just think that, I will say, it's, I was so frustrated with the, how the, the battle, if we will, progress. Like, time and time again, I feel like, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Like, they went down that corridor, it was like a dead end. And you're like, wait, the other side. So they go out into the open to run across this battle scene to get to an exit on the other side. And it turns out a bunch of bad guys are pouring in through that exit, too. 
I can imagine like being afraid of being trapped in that corridor, but I feel like in that corridor, you can't get surrounded. You have a bunch of guys <laughs> with spears and shields standing at the front of the corridor, and Danny's safe behind you. Yeah. It doesn't matter if there's 10 or 100 guys outside that corridor, you can't get surrounded. But then they run out in the open and get completely surrounded. And so uh, then once they're surrounded, the bad guys have them surrounded and one at a time style run and one guy runs in and gets killed and one guy runs in it's why total, don't all of you throw spears at once it's, 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 it, they, they switch to an asian martial arts film yeah where the famous one at a time fighting style where yeah. the, the good guy gets to fight every single bad guy one at a time yeah it was a little like that they got a lot of good imagery out of it and the, the gist of the scene at the end of it was brought across but i think i was too distracted by how poor that the, the actions of the characters, the, the, the way the action played out made so little sense to me, I forgot to remember Jorah had grayscale. You know and I mean? and like, like uh, you said also, and our, we kind of alluded to earlier, just the, the having just seen the Shireen scene was like, oh. Well, so yeah, like, you really needed something big. It's like easy to be critical after just watching that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's the yeah. same, it was the same with the Sansa scene at the end of episode six because we just watched the really awkward, terrible Sans uh, Sansa action scene. scene. Yeah. So, yeah, those things it does. Sometimes the the the, uh, the the badness or things we don't like about one seed bleeds into the another. We we it affects how we view the next scene. It's just a matter of what's what order they put things in. Patreon supporter Warzip suggests that they could have used less money having that the harpy come down. That was a big expense on CGI that they that was kind yeah. of unnecessary. But that I I kind of agree with that. But it was at least episode one it was one of the first things we see the season, and I, I guess they want to start things off with a bang or with a boom of a big giant bronze statue coming down so yeah i do agree that the money would be better spent on the dragon cgi but i don't think it was a mistake necessarily for them to do something exciting at the beginning of the season either so eh, a little a little of both we'll say now so here's a good question that a lot of people want to see answered will Tyrion take over as ruler of Marine, in the absence of Danny, should he survive if not who will take control of her regime in Marine? because she's flown off maybe she's gone she doesn't have any control over where she's gone. If she's not around, even just temporarily, who's in charge? That's a good question. Like, Hisdar's dead. And it's just Janny's council in there. And Tyrion's like, well, he's the one who knows how to do things. If he's able to pull this off, that'll really show his skills, won't it? But that's not necessarily how it's going to go. I don't... One, I've suggested in the past that, that Tyrion could or should be a leader or a ruler. And everyone's like, no, there's no way. They just wouldn't accept the midget. All right, well, why are they going to here? Especially when he just showed up. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't... It doesn't seem realistic. But the flip side is, who would it be? In Dario? My opinion, I mean, yeah, like... Dario <laughs> makes more sense. Yeah, Dario, for sure. Except my opinion is, that's saying, I think she's just going to be back. I don't, I don't think she's, like, left. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but I just think she just circled around the thing, fireballed a few more people... I will say, I like I, I don't expect because they say that it's Sam right, and that's what happened. She, her, and her dragon continued in the fight till they were all fought off and and the conflict had settled. Then she lands the dragon and says, uh, "Okay, guys, uh, meet in my chambers tomorrow. Drago, uh, go mm-hmm. find yourself some food and um, uh, someone clean up the dead bodies." Like, <laughs> what happens next? I don't know how. Are there janitors in that coliseum? <laughs> Somebody <laughs> got to clean the blood. Like I wanted, I, I, I don't know why I care so much about the logistics of things, but I feel like big events like that, there's more to it than. There's more to handle than like you know. You know, 
Danny's plight for the Iron Throne. There's like day-to-day stuff that has to be managed that, that to me is the real challenge of, of leadership and ruling that usually is just completely disregarded in, in these types of stories. And so maybe it's more boring. It's boring to hear logistics officers talk about how much water they need for the troops. And it's exciting to hear the king talk about conquering the other kingdom. But to me, the logistics officer is a better leader than the king, you know? Mm. So, yeah, it's sort of interesting to see how that plays out, whether someone's able to take charge or whether it's kind of chaos or whether Danny just returns to right the ship quickly and, and lays down the law with her dragon at her side or something, um, or whether Drogon will have a mind of his own and Danny will have to spend some time figuring out a whole thing out. A lot of possibilities there. Okay, so let's, let's move on to the next question here. I think we can go ahead and start circling back to older questions. Sean, do you have anything more you wanted to talk about specifically with this? We have, we're going to certainly talk a little more about Danny and Marine when we get to the trailer discussion, which will be in just a few moments. We have about 15 minutes left. And so let's talk about, let's go back and find some of the good questions here that we did not get to touch on. First of all, our very good friend Jeff, a.k.a. Brendan Blackfish from Wars and Politics of A Song of Ice and Fire blog, Good friend of ours here. He wants to know, do you think there's more to come with regard to Jamie, Tristane, Marcella, and Bronn? Do you think Doran Martell is playing it straight with Jamie? Do you think he's being honest there? Or do you I, think he's got something else in mind? Is he playing Because everyone seemed a little perplexed by how he just went along with it. He's like, okay, I got to, you know, you, you invaded, you, you broke into my country, killed some people, and we tried to kidnap. Okay, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send my son, and you're going to have your niece back, and we'll play nice. It seems... Is Ilaria right? Is he spineless? Or maybe there's just something else going on. I don't think he's spineless. I think it's the same thing as John talking to Tormund. I think it's that's the actual brave thing to do. Like, he's inviting assassins. He's upsetting his own family to do the long-term, big-picture, correct thing for mm-hmm. his family and his country. Like, I don't care about my... E- call me spineless. I don't care. I'm not going to have a thousand people die so you don't think I'm spineless. That's not what being a, a ruler, a good ruler, really is, you mm-hmm. know, in my opinion. I, may, may, doesn't mean he can't also have some other kind of plan or motive, but I think he's genuine, and I don't think he's spineless. I think that it's the good, correct thing to do. He's looking for a peaceful society, not, he's not a warmonger. It's a very similar to what the half-hand said to Jon Snow. Jon Snow... Corrin Halfman, the one who basically gave himself up so John could kill him so yeah. he could sell his, you know, double agency. Yeah. Corrin basically tells John, and I apologize, some of this might be from the book, I'm, I sometimes cross them over, but it's a very minor thing. Corrin basically, John at first is like, I don't want to do it. He's like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a traitor. And Corrin's like, what's more important, your honor or getting the job done, doing the right thing, saving the realm, you know? And, he, and John's like damn it <laughs> you got me you know <laughs> it's like good point you know Corn's like you're only your this is your pride talking your honor is not that important it's it, we have to do we have to serve we have to do our duty and it might be what Doran's <laughs> about here and it goes back to the question of greatness too most of the leaders that we think of as great were warmongers most of the leaders that didn't do anything were in my opinion they were the really great men you know what I mean they the ones who aren't fucking things up <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah. usually go down history is great yeah the, the ones who, who stay out of in, war right yeah. the ones who engage in war they go down history is great but the fact is they were just killing people for either out of usually out of greed or honor or some other thing it's really hard to go to war 
out of peace. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> to, like, to inflict peace on yeah. somebody, yeah. Sometimes justice, maybe, but usually even then, it's a, a, a road path with good intentions that leads to evil. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a good question. Carlos Canard, again, wants, wants to know, he says, I think a lot of people would like some explanation about the Dance of Dragons that Shireen was talking about. That's a good question. Well, I will give a quick answer. We are going to cover the Dance of Dragons in the History of Westeros episode very thoroughly. It is a very big, interesting, awesome topic. But the, the short answer is that King Viserys I died having named his daughter as heir and f having money, many of the lords of the realm swear to her. However, he remarried and had a son, had several sons with a different wife. And when he, he never changed the succession, though. He, made, he, he said, nope, my daughter's still inheriting. His new wife was pressuring him to change the succession. He never did. He was like, nope, nope, my daughter is, is going to be queen. That's the end of it. I'm not going to talk about this with you anymore. And many years go by. So by the time he dies... There was a lot of the people who had sworn to uphold Rhaenyra's rights had already died themselves, and it was their sons in place. And so there were a lot of people hadn't technically sworn. And Westeros, being what it is, a lot of there had never been a sitting queen on the Iron Throne. There's a lot of there was a, a patriarchal bent to this whole thing. Like no, we can't. We don't, some people just didn't want to have a, a woman uh, ruling the you know, sitting on the throne. And basically the and the and the the the. Second wife of the king also was in fear for her children. She thought that her line would be ex would be uh, put to death by Rhaenyra, who would be wanting to make sure that there was no threat to her regime, which may have been true, but it's not certainly not for sure. So it devolved, and they started. First, it was just um, a war of words and a little bit back and forth, and, it, and then it exploded, and there were about there were almost two dozen dragons extant at the time and after the war was over there were only a few left dragons are really good at killing not so great at defending and so a dragon on dragon fight usually results in two dragons being dead or one being dead and the other being massively permanently damaged so it was a big and like like as alluded to in the story as shireen says it really and or maybe stannis is the one who says this that it broke their power. Targaryen, the Targaryen regime was never the same after that. They started to wane. It took a long time for the Targaryen. There's another 150 years or 170 years before Aerys, the final Targaryen king, was overthrown. But it was at, after that point, after the Dance of Dragons, there started to be regular rebellions. Every once in a while there'd be a rebellion, and most particularly the Blackfire rebellions, which, which were a five-generation thing. But there were other rebellions, too. The kind which you did not see when the Targaryens had their dragons in full scale and they were like really had things on lockdown. No one wanted to rebel against the dragons, but when they only they didn't have dragons anymore or only had a couple, the game has changed. So there you go. There's your explanation for the Dance of Dragons. Like I said, we're going to cover it in great detail with at least one two-hour episode sometime in the future, possibly more than that. It's a great, great topic. So, But I don't want to spend too much time on it now. Okay, let us go ahead and move on to the trailer discussion. We'll talk about what's coming a bit, but we will also touch on a few more questions. First, special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Hand of the King and First Lord Cash Craig, a.k.a. Vax on the History of Westeros Forums. He, answered, he got to ask the question today. Warden of the North is Lord Parker the Bastard of Starkville, Breaker of the First Stone. Our Warden of the West is Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of A Song of Ice and Fire blog. Co, uh, one of uh, Jeff... Brendan Beefish is uh, co-conspirators there. Master of Coin and First Counselor, Lord Robert Jacobs. Master of Whisperers, Lord James the Scholar. That's Lord James 
the scholar uh, James Smith, who's got a couple of questions answered today. Grandmaster Itai wears the jewel collar of many medals. Rosie the Clever is our master of laws. Lord James Tuttle is our master of ships. The history of Westeros Night's Watch Lord Commander is George the Golden. The history of Westeros Kingsguard is commanded by Lord Commander Shepard. Sir Troy the Steady swings the Valyrian steel blade. Fate as the history of Westeros' King Justice. Lady Darylis of Castle Naki is the Alpha Patron, Lord Nathan of the Fire Fort, Dan of the Red Mountains, Lord of the Great Bell, and Breaker of the Second Stone, and Lady April Lauren Board Stark is currently constructing her castle. Those are the Lords of the Realm providing support and advice to History of Westeros. By the way, a reminder that this week's Book to Show episode, if you follow both our show reviews and our Book to Show episodes, we will also be live at 4 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time on Wednesday. And we will be doing, as I said at the start of this episode, since we've gone through, this has gone well, we have, uh, I've enjoyed how the Q&A feature works, so we're going to do this again next week. Stay tuned for what time it'll be, but it should be around the same time. So hopefully you guys can join us again next week. So if you don't want to be spoiled by the trailer discussion, time to sign off. If not, onward. Trailer discussion. Some plots we may have seen the last step. We may be done with Dorm. We may be done with Littlefinger for the year. Yeah, um, yeah, for example, maybe a few other examples. No I sort sign of expect of... and hope to get at least touched on Littlefinger and Olena back in King's Landing. Yeah, uh, that's maybe true. not. There's not much time, but I hope we at least get a, like a scene or two. We didn't get much from the wall this past episode, but we did get like two scenes. We got at least you know like two minutes worth of like okay, this is where things are at. You know, I agree. Uh, okay, so the we we get a a shot of the throne room, Danny's throne room, where you've got, like, Team Danny kind of sitting there looking for Lauren, like, what do we do now? And that, to me, is why an indication that she's not around. That's kind of why I was going there. And, and I think we have a clue in the trailer also about where she went. Because that's not actually the first scene we see. The first scene we, it looks like, is that trail is that throne room. But actually, the first thing, scene we see is a really, really brief glimpse of a grassy mountain with some water visible in the back. And when I freeze-framed it to get a look at it, I could see a, a person on top of the mountain to the left, very, very far away. So I think what we're looking at is Valyria. And I think that's where Drogon went back to Valyria, where he, where J Jorah and, and Tyrion saw him. Hmm. I think that's where she carried him off, carried, where he carried her off to. That is not a book spoiler, by the way. <laughs> I'm just guessing based on the trailer. So, uh, so that means we, our theories about what might be Tyrion and other things are, should be taken more seriously, I suspect, because, yeah, that it does look like Danny won't be around. So, it, and it does make sense that Drogon will go there. I mean, that's where he was seen. Maybe he's made yeah. kind of a home there. It's, it's not really clear. Uh, but the, now the, the next thing in the trailer, really big moment, this Melisandre basically saying it worked. The storm cleared up. You know, she's seeing icicles dripping, and Stannis and his men are all pulling their swords out, and Stannis says the siege begins at sunrise. So I guess he didn't have major morale problems. I guess the men are still... Maybe some of them left, but he still has enough to go forward. Of course, Stannis might go forward if it was just him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as hell-bent as he is on doing this. But does that, does that to you mean that Relore is real, or is this just impossibly just a weather coincidence, or Melisandre has... You know, I, what do you think about that? I don't know. I think that it's, uh, <laughs> I think you need more than the wetter clearing up to, for it to have worked. Um, yeah. I think, I, uh, I think all the stuff I said before. <laughs> <laughs> I think if the weather clears up and Davos comes back with an army and they conquer Winterfell, that still doesn't mean it worked. That's still not justification. That still isn't good enough. Carly Kenny wants to know, what will the sacrifice of Shireen do? Well, this yeah. maybe is what it did. It might have 
cleared up the weather. It might have done nothing at all. It might have just been a horrible spectacle for us all to, you know, cry ourselves to sleep over. <laughs> so, yeah, but it might have worked. It might have been the only, it might have saved Stannis and his army. It's, yeah, I hate to admit that possibility, but there we are. This is a fantasy world. It's supernatural. So, uh, watching her, Simon Mirror points out that how Stannis dealt with the guards was kind of similar to how Rob dealt with the Karstark soldiers. The one who just watched, you know, he says, I was just the watcher. You know, I just watched this thing go down. When that, cause, cause he, Gar, Karstark ordered some of his men to help he him. He still break. had him executed. Still had him executed, yeah. yeah. So that's a good point. You know, it's just kind of sometimes, it's, it just goes to show how being born a commoner is perilous in Westeros because you can get, you can do your duty and be put to death for it, for doing the right thing. You said you have to follow your lord. You follow, always follow your lord. Follow your lord. Your lord orders you to do something treasonous in the eyes of another lord. Okay, well, now you should just go be executed. That doesn't seem fair, but it seems about right. Now, John is sitting there with some papers. He just kind of looks like he's got a tough decision, but it's really not much we can glean from that other than that he's trying to figure something out. Yeah. We know that he's got a tough tough situation coming there. We wonder if Davos will, will be there to talk to him and maybe they'll, together they'll come up with something or maybe not. Cersei is crying, which is interesting to me. That might mean that she's finally caved. I think even if she does, it's not that meaningful. <laughs> to, to cave under coercion like that is like... Mm. Yeah, that's true. She might just be... It might just be the... the, the persistent discomfort that she's in might be just be getting her it doesn't mean she's ready to give in but it could be could be a hint but i don't know what that yeah exactly what does that mean though what does it mean that she yeah. gives in what is she confessing i mean they already have in prison they're to- basically torturing her by not giving her water it's like yeah and there's a voiceover throughout part of this trailer that's saying we do not choose who we love and i'm not sure who was saying that i wanted to go back and let's do it a few more times i'm pretty but... sure it was cersei by the way i'm okay. almost positive it was cersei interesting Arya is also telling herself she's no one, and it kind of looks like she might be in the room with the many faces when she's saying that. And that brings up a good question here from Eric Flores. Do you think Arya will use a face from the Hall of Faces to kill Maren Trant? Oh, to do it as another person? Yeah. I wasn't suspecting that until I saw the trailer. I Especially wasn't sure that's what's going on. make her into a big, strong man, you know? <laughs> uh. Well, yeah, if that's possible, then she should do that all the time. She'd never take that face off. Well, she doesn't have to be a man, but being big and strong is useful. <laughs> it was a thing I wondered about, whether or not it's reasonable for him to recognize her. I thought about that, and I, I, I couldn't decide. Enough times passed, she's grown, she's been presented differently. Her hair is different. have seen her yeah. that many times. But, uh, I think they were trying to make it look like that. Like, they were, like, getting us anxious, like, oh, is he going to recognize her? But then he, but he, then clearly, not, yeah. he clearly didn't. He probably was just kind of looking around at everyone. We just yeah. zero in in a moment where He's they supposed to be other, a bodyguard type. Exactly. He doesn't so, look at yeah. a little girl as a threat, you know. Um, yeah. We already see what he thinks of little girls in general. <laughs> And we have Brienne and Podrick. Brief shot of them. Not sure what they're doing. They're standing there. Now, some people, uh, at least one watcher pointed out that Brienne has even more reason to hate Stannis now, being a, a kinslayer. So, yeah. And then we have Sansa, who acts like she wants to do something. If she's going to die, she wants to have it give, give it some meaning. Well, oh, gosh, don't kill Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need that. Come on, let's have more of Sansa. Let's have her do something. Let's have her make something of herself instead of just being this torture princess or whatever she is. That arc is not satisfying. <laughs> let's have Sansa do something. She's still Ned's got her arc, weapon. Ned's arc wasn't very satisfying. <laughs> That's true. Although it only lasted <laughs> one season, not five seasons. So five season disappointment. <laughs> yeah. So I hope something goes. I hope something goes right for Sansa. That's all I can say about that. I don't know what that that trailer clue isn't. Maybe it doesn't tell us much necessarily. So we'll have to see. But 
That's all we have time for today, folks. So many great questions. We really enjoyed this live event experience. It's also going to be nice to have the episode up on YouTube sooner so people can start watching it quicker. That's another benefit. Send us your feedback on how this went. Go ahead and let us know what we did right, what we did wrong. Like I said, it's our first time doing the Q&A feature, so I'm sure it wasn't perfect. It wasn't as smooth as it could be, but it wasn't bad either. I'm pretty happy with how it went, so we're going to look to improve on the process. And hopefully you guys can send us some feedback to help us improve on the process. If you would like to support History of Westeros with a regular donation, you can go to historyofwesteros.com, click on the donate button, and give whatever you feel is appropriate. Typical amounts, 5, 10, 20, 50, those are the most common amounts. But whatever you feel is appropriate, whatever you feel comfortable with, we'll be very thankful for. And so will everybody else because it means you're helping the show make more episodes more often, which as we reach the end of the TV season is becoming where we're uh, going to be headed back to, making our regular history and plots episodes. We'll be having a lot of fun with those once the time comes, but we still have one more week of Game of Thrones to come. We're excited about what that's going to be, and we're really excited to be having you guys along for the ride with us for us all to share together. So until next week, Valar Margolis, everybody. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>